Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act. Welcome one and all to another episode of The Kindness Project. This is episode 299, as I've been reminded, which is a bit daunting to know that we've done... It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. 300. I would say hours, but I don't actually know what happens after edits. How long? I mean, our our esteemed producer can tell us. Uh, We're approximately an hour reach. Approximately an hour. Between 50 minutes and an hour reach. Yeah. Um, So 299 is a hell of a lot. I mean, I mean, I don't know that many podcasts actually that get. Uh, 299 entire episodes um but we're, we've done it woohoo high five virtual high five russ well done chaps well, well done, <laughs> done chaps i've been totally honest with you in the early days it was a bit of a miss and i thought you was gonna drop out after so uh 50 and 100, but yeah. Well, it will, I mean, we've talked about this quite a lot um, between ourselves, but at, now the book was published, which was ultimately the aim of that the... That was the goal, yeah. We, we, I, funny enough, I listened to episode one of the podcast, this was about six or seven months ago, and in the first one, I said, I want to publish a book about kindness and I want to interview people about it. And I forgot I'd said that in episode one, to be honest. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even remember saying that. Um, and the fact that we've now done that, we've raised money for charity, we've done loads of good stuff with, with the Kindness Project, it will be the end at some point. And that the end will be the end it won't be never the end because it will actually be the end yeah and i'm feeling a bit melancholy about that it needs to come yeah but how do you feel about it well it's sort of like this this thing we do together so either we need to find something new to do <laughs> we do need to find something new and and what's russ gonna do what's russ, russ what are you gonna do with your life russ is busy doing stuff I'm forging a career in my he's, he's absolutely emotionless about the kindness For me, it's run its course. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think there there needs to be an end to all of it at some point, and it's it's as you say, it's coming up to to the end. Which yeah, I'm. I've got mixed emotions about you want to replace something else that I don't know what that's going to be. Um, and and Russ is sick of both of us and he, he just wants to crack on with his own yeah, life. We've all got our own projects now, though, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, like, I when I started the Kindness Project, I had a couple of projects on the go. What yeah. I'd love to see is the evolution in both of your lives. Over the last, how long we been doing this? For me, this was the beginning of something much bigger. So it, it taught me to take to a schedule. It taught me to to stay on top of what I needed to get done, and it 
told me to be organised. And then, obviously, I come to work at Sabello. Now I'll be involved into my own stuff. So it was the beginning of an evolution for me. Basically, it took Rose to be the legend that he is today, didn't it? That's what he did. I think, like, yeah, I get what you're saying about this teaching stuff, Russ. Because I definitely think, like, early on, it was like we weren't like getting the numbers. That consistency, it told me, the consistency of yeah. keeping on top of it and making sure it's done. Yeah, yeah I, I think I took a different lesson from it. Because I remember early on when we weren't getting the numbers, and I've sort of stayed in that mindset of like, no one's listening, no one's listening, but we're still making it. And I think that I've taken something from that, sort of the mindset I stayed in of like, no one's listening, but it doesn't matter because we're making it. And you know what? I, I, I think I, I agree with that to a certain extent. But I, I, look, the fact that we don't care whether anybody's listening or not, um, we still enjoy it anyway. Probably does. In the back of your mind, you know people are listening. Just in the front of your mind, why are they listening? What? Yeah, what? I, still, I still don't know, Russ. Exactly. I still don't know. As someone who like wants to go into more of a creative profession, like like we're talking at the moment about publishing my first poetry collection, and like I've had a lot of things of like, well, no one's going to read it. There's no point. But like doing this, I've sort of like. Well, you know what? I'm convinced myself no one's listening to this, and we still sit making. But you know, you know what? The reality is, and this is my experience. You do it. You do the right stuff in terms of marketing it and sort of getting it out there and building it. And as Kevin, I don't know if it was Kevin Cottesman who built the dreams. It was one of them. um, Said, "You will build it. They will come. Build it. They will come. Yeah. And and they sort." Sort of have, yeah. It's been it's been good fun, and and we've done some good stuff with it. What have you learned about kindness, Russ? As we are a podcast about kindness, kindness in the, in the spirit you've had throughout. So from uh, my my personal point of view, I didn't look at myself as kind as such. I looked at myself more more helpful, but. Is kind and helpful the same thing, though? Well, kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Being there for people and offering them support when they need support, etc. For me, that was being helpful, not kind. Okay. And, yeah, it's shown me that I'm a lot kinder than I thought I was. Okay, that's good. And what have you learned from the guests? You're welcome. I think that, that even though we have struggles in our life, we all, we all lead our own path, and it's up to us how we handle that path. I think that's a really important lesson. What have you learned? You don't always have to react negatively to your yeah. experience. Well, I think I think if we've if we've shown anything by all the people we've interviewed is you've got a choice when adversity hits and I think we've been lucky to interview loads of people who've gone through challenges and struggles and in every single interview mostly every single interview they've dealt with it in a way that adds value to the world and um, the other thing and, is- and, and that's 
not always easy, we know that, but they've managed to do that. The other thing is, Tom, I mean, that it's good to talk. Yeah. yeah. Good to yeah. try and get, get out of your system and... Yeah. I mean, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think I think the ones that the ones that are always interesting to me are the ones about sort of mental health and yeah. you know stuff like that, and and finding ways that we can you know find strategies to cope with some of the challenges we face. So, absolutely love that. Um, um, what we're going to do today in today's episode is share some of those experiences we've had throughout the years. I mean, I don't add these for you going on the compilation section. Okay, I, take, right. I take segments out of each interview, so I don't put one interview as a whole. I take questions out of each interview. And are we? Are we? Um, so we're gonna, hopefully um, we're in the arrangements of doing something special for this is episode two nine nine. By the way, um, we're going to do something super special. Hopefully for episode three hundred. Um, uh, but I'm going to just let you do your stuff for us and let our audience listen to the compilation. All right, good. All right, I've got loads of time, loads of time. I'll be here early. And then I'm like, why is stopping me? And then the helicopters are there, and I'm like, oh, has Russia got involved? I. But anyway... Yeah. I'm yeah. so sorry, but we're all no, good. No worries, we're all, we're, we're all good. Fridays is my day off, so I'm not rushing. I've got some admin jobs to do, but apart from podcast interviews, we, we're good for today. So uh, I'm a bit more relaxed, which is which is all good. How's your week been? Yeah, I love that piece of art behind you. <clears throat> yeah, my wife, my wife is, my wife's family is um, Scottish. Oh, mine too. All right, cool. Where are they, where are they from? She was born in Perth. Her dad was a Church of Scotland minister, so they've moved around a few places. But she was born in Perth, then lived uh, in and around Edinburgh most of the time. Gotcha. So Cassie's mum and dad, uh, funny enough, moved down to London and then moved back, uh, living our growth on the East Coast. Oh, it's um, nice there. Very nice. Very nice. Like little fishing village. Really quiet, um, uh, uh, not too far from Edinburgh, actually. You can still, we were up earlier in the year because I, I don't know how you found it, but one of the big, biggest things for us over the past sort of 15 months is Gassy's mum and dad's up there. Our kids are sort of nine and 17, and they haven't seen their grandparents and them in the early their early 70s for yeah um for for, for a year and a half <clears throat> so it was really nice to get out there but we went for a day to edinburgh dundee is sort of up and coming now that seems to be they've got a victorian albert museum and tapes up there so they're doing loads of stuff with um with dundee so yeah it's a nice part of the world to be between you and i uh a uh, bit quiet for me because I'm a London boy. Um, but um, well, I, uh, there'll be some people in Arbroath who I can guarantee will have never been to Edinburgh. I know. Because it'd be like, what? I've got the butchers, 
I've got the bacon. <laughs> I can get my candlesticks here. Why would I want to go to Edinburgh? You know what? Actually, I broke weirdly last time we went, and I, I, I don't know what's changed. But it's got some like funky boutique shops now. So yeah, all right. Like, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Nice so it, so it is. It is coming in. I don't know if I'd say the 21st century. I'd, I'd say probably about 1998. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. it's getting there, mate. It's getting, but there is a there is an appeal in that quietness as well. Do you know what I mean? There's a it's quite a sort of nice um, nice sort of uh, sort of when you go there. It's yeah, it's nice for a holiday. I, I don't know it's if I'm moving. It's the type of place that you can catch your breath. Yeah. Exactly. And we Spot all need on. a moment to catch our breath now and again. I don't know about you, but I love Carlisle, like you love London. But there's something about leaving your city to get a fresh perspective on your city. I agree. I agree. I think <clears throat> I think you, you 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 sometimes just need the break to make sure you're in a position where um, you understand. Number one, you know, you know. Get, I think travel in any respect broadens the mind a bit, so um, it allows us to look at you know what might be uh, you know what might be good and what might be sort of not so good about other places, uh, but also um, yeah, just taking a break um, and having a bit of a rest. It's funny, I've got um, I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the marathon um, in a oh, three in a bit bit weeks time um i'd say it's brilliant normally i'd say it's brilliant but i'm right in that period where like later on i've got to go out and run 18 miles and it doesn't feel particularly brilliant at the minute because uh, that's quite a long way um uh, but yeah i'm really looking forward to, to that and funny enough gazzy and i following week are just gonna go away for a long weekend just as a as a bit of a breather because you need to you need to sort of decompress every now and again don't you well, I don't know about you. I find I need the right amount of pressure on me. Yeah, yeah. If I don't have any pressure on me, I, I'll struggle sometimes to get. And I've, I, you know, I'm never bored. I'm always active, but I'll struggle to get one thing done. If I've got too much pressure on me, I kind of nearly go a bit like um, the old PC computers when they get like a blue screen. I'm like, <laughs> I, need, I, I, I feel like you, you know, like a diamond or whatever needs the right amount of pressure to bring out the very best. And I imagine, Chris, I think you're probably the same, you know, type of person as well, are you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really lucky, Andy, because I've, I've got really decent business that we've had for 10 years. Um, uh, you know, all of all of this stuff, Ross and Charlotte and, you know, the guys at work support me with all of it. So uh, I, I tend to, I tend to drive stuff forward well um and um uh be the face and the voice of stuff and to be honest andy they could could have picked a better face and voice mate i mean they should have done um uh but um uh then i've got an amazing team probably like you have that i couldn't do it without so it's it's if you asked anybody who works with me they'd say I can't work out what he does because he just seems to delegate all of the tasks that he doesn't want to do, which is a nice position to be in. I'd, I'm still not in a position where I think I delegate enough, um, uh, but we'll we'll get there. <laughs> you've got, and and I, I know you've got questions for me, but I've got a load of questions for you, and maybe now is not the time. But like, I, oh man, I've got questions about um, 
you know your your business question i've got i've got questions about um that you know taking that process of um a seed of an idea and something and then how you've seen that and how that moment of i'm going to delegate this and i think the person's got the vision they've got the values but how then do you help them believe that it's their thing as well and how you you know the balance of giving them enough courage and so it's their thing and and then not overpowering and underpowering so i've got a whole lot of questions and i and i but maybe now is not the time but another time i'd love to I'd, i'm like why do you do the kindness project i'm sure you could be making more money so what is it about you that what shifted in your heart that you're like you know what, i'm going to give some of my time to help make this happen yeah, well, I'll answer that one because I love talking about that. And then if you'd like to pick up for a, uh, a chat, uh, I'm, I'm always happy to do that. Russell will get, Russell get that arranged for me. But let me just give you a bit of a sort of story of, in terms of the Kindness Project and where it is now. Two motivations for the Kindness Project. Um, uh, and currently, I'm just finishing the book, so it'll all be in there as well. So, uh, yeah, we're 30,000 words into that, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that out sometime soon. But, will you um, send me a link where I can pre-order that? I'd love to... Not, not ready yet. So it'll be it'll be probably another six months till we get it to that point. I'd and love to be one of the first know. to buy that. Oh, cool. Brilliant, mate. So, so first, first thing was... Um, Starting about, Russ, wait, how long have we been doing the podcast now? Four years? Uh, just over three years. Three years. So we've been doing the podcast for three years. Um, it um, The uh, gem of the idea, um, as I explained in, in the book, was um, uh, when I was six, I was seven, I won a, a Chinese plate when I was at primary school for being the kindest boy in the um, in the in the in the class. And I came back and I remember my mum being really proud that I'd like come back with this plate. Um, and then, sort of fast forward on, like forty-four now. So fast forward on uh, till I was forty-one, and I was in a position where I was looking at the world and going, there were movements in the world where it seemed to me that hatred and um, sort of conflict and this attitude of everything was, you know, negative and people were only out for their self was the perception. And I think, you know, like that was sort of certainly the news is like that, but, you know, there was political change that seemed to seem to elude that as well. I just got to a point and go, where I went, there must be my lived experiences that most people are pretty good, and my lived experiences that most people, um, I've met loads of people who are doing amazing stuff in the world. Uh, so I wanted to uh, share some of those stories, um, and uh, uh, so I got to the point where I thought, right, that's sort of, and and we're really lucky, you know. I'm not, you know, I'm not uber wealthy, but the business does well enough to make sure I'm looked yeah. after still work four days a week growing that and building that but um i like to have a bit of balance in my life in terms of the stuff that i do so um so yeah start the podcast um, and then the second motivation was charlotte was she's 17 now so she was 13 14 when we started it um uh and we got 
I got to a point where I realised that we needed probably something to work on together to just maintain that connection. Yeah. Um, and I thought it'd be fun, like just getting together once a week, you know, laughing, chatting, joking, and then just introducing people uh, who are doing good work in the world and, and just help uh, get their story out there. Called Russ. Uh, he said, look, we'll, I'll help you with the technical side so you can do it. Um and we then, all need a Russell in our lives. Oh, everybody needs a Russ, Andy. Everybody yeah. needs a Russ. Um, and then a couple of years ago, my um, my mum passed away. Um, uh, so uh, she was in her late sixties, had cancer. Oh. Uh, we we knew we knew she was going to pass away, um, uh, and she um, she said to me, "You know that plate you won when you were six? I kept it, oh. and I've, I've I've still got it." And would you like it? So it was this element where we'd started the Kindness Project, but just that, like, I'm, I'm glad that she saw the that start to build and develop and grow into something that was um, that, that that was worthwhile when people were really enjoying. Um, now uh, it's turned into something that Russ and I pinch ourselves and can't believe. So uh, Russ excitedly contacted me when when did you let me know about our big news russ last week or this week last week last week um we're getting a thousand downloads a day at the minute a day a day so that's three hundred and sixty-five thousand a year yeah i mean i mean that's been our top day um yeah, and yeah. it's and we're not there like consistently no. consistently yet that's but, amazing. But when the first week, I think we had four downloads. We, uh, we should point <laughs> out that that fluctuates. That, yeah, that's what I said. It goes up and down. But we, we uh, you were really excited about that, Rose, like that thousand download. Oh, and, well. then, and then you turn around and go, you know what, that, you know, and we don't take any money for this. We don't. We haven't even got a sponsor, even though we've got sort of really good numbers. We've decided that um, we're not going to sponsor it because I don't want it. Not that the commercialism would, yeah. you know, would change what what we do. Well, there's a purity about it. Yeah, and and we might sponsor it to do a bit of charity fundraising. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? We might sort of just use the money for another purpose. Um, but yeah, so. Um, yeah, it's turned into a bit of a, uh, a monster, but I still love it. You know, I get together once a week with Charlotte. Uh, we have a laugh, have a chat, and then just get to introduce people on that are doing amazing stuff in the world, including you. I, I love it. I love yeah, it. It's good, good fun. Right, shall we interview you now? <laughs> Let's get that done. Right, okay. So really informal, really like sort of, I know I sent you through the questions, but, you know, that's more of a framework so we can sort of have a really good chat um and then and then we can go from there russ are you on yeah we're good to go amazing right great stuff andy um thank you firstly so much for coming on and talking to us about the amazing work you do um i know we've had a really good chat uh pre-podcast which was which was great I really, I really enjoyed that um and that was more about me which is uh a, a a unique thing that people ask about me first, so I thank you for that. Um, but tell us uh, and tell me and our audience a little bit about you. Uh, well, listen, what an honour to be part of this. Anything with kindness and project in the title, I'm like, ding, ding, 
I want to get involved in this. So such an honor to be part of this. Yeah, so my name's Andy Fearon. I live up in Carlisle in North Cumbria, the golden city of dreams, the most generous city on the planet. Not everybody knows that yet. But one day, one day. You're um, persuading them, one person at a time, Andy. Persuading or wooing or, you know, you know, one little cup of coffee in the man behind me in the queue at a time. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I've just turned 48 years old. I feel in between 16 and 24, <laughs> um, maybe 26 now, maybe 26. But um, no, so I was born in the city, grew up just outside the city in the Perma, Mum and dad had family business, growing strawberries, fruit and veg, flowers. And that was my life uh, for a big part of it. When I was about 19, 20, I had an encounter in a nightclub. And that kind of changed my life somewhat. Um, yeah, and that was, wow, when I was about 20, 21. Talk to me a little bit about, I mean, we'll, we'll talk to you about a little bit about your life because I want to know a little bit more about sort of what happened in that changed and, and, and when it occurred. But um, do you think, because I'm 44 now, um, so we're, we're of a uh, similar age, and I, I wake up in the morning and go, I, I still feel like I'm sort of in my mid-20s. And I was talking to my dad the other day, who's 74, and he said, in my head, I still feel in my 20s. Do you think that ever goes away? I, I hope not. I, I hope not. Yeah, that's true. It's a good... I, I, meet, yeah. I meet people who are 24, and they've got a heart and a mindset of a of somebody who's 80. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, my yeah. Mom, it's funny, my dad's 74 as well. And, and, and oh, man, my dad... They call him the JCB because he just digs. He yeah. is as fit as a butcher's dogs. He he just walks all over everywhere. Yeah. So I think age is much more of a mindset, mindset. and a heart position than actual yeah. physically. So I, well, I, really I, I think maintaining a uh, an optimistic perspective, positive energy, and um, you know, staying in shape to make sure that we can carry on. But doing all that that sort of stuff is really important, isn't it? I often I often feel like you know I often give the illustration of swimming in the Lake District. If you if you if your eyes are here under the water, it's all a bit murky, and uh, like eight millimeters different, your eyes are above the water and you can see it all. And I think it's quite easy for people's heads to be dipped. And all, all we're trying to do is just, just lift a couple of chins Enough. and say, look, look what else you can see. Look what's around. Look what's possible. Look what's doable um, in, in your lifetime. That, that is one phrase that is going to stick with me for a while. Just chin up. Chin, chin up, up. Chin up. And then we can see what's going on and potentially have a different perspective on the world. I, I like that. So you mentioned about early 20s, you had this um, sort of moment of change. Help me understand a little bit more about that. Yeah, and, and I don't know how much you want me to share or not share about this. So I would have gone to church as a kid and generally it was a good experience. Like I saw real kindness in my mum and my dad. Yeah. They would just they would just do anything for anyone at any time. I remember standing in the rain as my mum is taking um, like shopping to an elderly person. I remember on Christmas going to visit someone who would have some challenges in life. And I remember looking at all the cards in the room thinking, oh, this person has 
got lots of friends, but when I look closely, they were all blank. But my mum would have known that and she would have just turned up and just said, listen, you're not alone. I'm here for you. So yeah. I think the whole kindness thing was in my DNA kind of growing up. And, and the church was a kind church because I know not everybody's experience of church is good and healthy. But at the same time, I was bored silly on a Sunday. I would right. sit like this, <laughs> counting the ceiling tiles. And I remember being a bit annoyed, even as like six, seven years old, with the minister at the front, I'm like, you're making this boring. You're making Jesus boring. And the no, the little I know of Jesus is he was a bit of a rascal. Like he wasn't afraid to have people around the table who didn't fit in. Like he wasn't afraid to mix it up a little bit. Anyways, my life was full of, I hated school with a passion, right. but I loved working for my dad. I loved um swimming so my life was full at 14 years old you're, you're on the lakes aren't you where you are where yeah, yeah. we're like 20 30 minutes away from the lake district oh, and so like we some of our best holidays were just in a tent beside a river messing around in the river we didn't have much money growing up but i honestly felt like the richest man in cumbria because and, and this is a rare thing i had a mum and dad who loved me and, and, yeah. and you know, we take that over anything, wouldn't mean. You know, well, you know what? I think, you know, you've, you, you're a dad, Andy, aren't you? Have yeah, you got kids? two kids, yeah. Yeah, so my my two are sort of nine and uh, 17. Um, and, you know, that, that sort of, it's one of those jobs that you take on. I was 26 when Charlotte was born. Um, and it's one of those jobs where you, you know, normally you get a bit of training, but this is a job where they go, you do realise there's no rule book for this and you'll probably get most of it wrong. And you go, oh, cheers. Uh, the most important job in my life, the one with the most responsibility to bring up this human. And you're telling me there's no like, sort of rules, rules around it. And you sort of learn as you go. But um, oh, listen, you know, I, I was an amazing parent, an amazing parent when I was a youth worker. And I'm, I was surprised. Why don't more parents come and ask me and my opinion about how they should parent? And then I had my own kids. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, I, I, I think, I mean, certainly I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a good fun dad, Andy. I'm a good, I'm a good, like, when there's fun stuff to do, I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, I've realised that I'm not a great homeschooling dad, um, and that's been uh, particularly apparent during the pandemic. But um, I'm sure we've all got our sort of strength. So church, I mean, and it's interesting when you talk about church as well, because, you know, I'm, I'm not religious. I think um, kindness... Uh, um, uh, can you know can can be a trait that you can have regardless of your faith. Oh yeah. Um, but having that community behind you, and it looks like that you've got a church where that community really helps support your sort of great work. So tell us a little bit about your church. Yeah. So it's called Carlisle Vineyard Church, and my wife and I started about eight nine years ago. <laughs> And, you know, some of our values that we kind of pick up through our life, through our experience, it was very much um, we wanted to be a church for those who didn't connect with church. Yeah. Right. And we're way more concerned about the needs in the city 
the meeting the needs for a certain type of person that, oh, I want this type of song, or I want this kind of thing. So we thought, how, and it's a funny question, how do you measure if you're a successful church? And we knew that this is no way about how many people are going to come, but we wanted to measure our success about what are our, um, and it depends what you say, you know, the KPIs are whatever, the um, measuring stick in the city. So we thought, what about the single mums in the city? What, what about those who are trapped in the thing of benefit and renting? Do you think it'd be possible for us to be able to plan and work towards helping them find um, a meaningful job, not just a job, but a meaningful job. I, I remember meeting this guy and I was helping him and encouraging him to, to start a job. And he got a job working at a local tip company. And he was on a conveyor belt sorting out the rubbish. And I'm like, listen, well done for getting started. And, and if you show a bit of hunger, a bit of oomph, you know, they'll that you'll stand out yeah, like a diamond. Yeah. And then he said, Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, they pay me minimum wage. And then I said, Oh, tell me, what does that mean to you that they pay you minimum wage? And you know, his response was he said, Well, you know, they get minimum me. Mm. And I'm just like, oh man. So I know I've kind of diverted a little bit there. So when we think about what it looks like to help change a city, mm. I know for sure Carlisle Vineyard is not the answer. However, we can be part of a solution. But but so we love to partner. Yeah, I suppose that part of that change is changing attitudes and mindsets, isn't it? And having that conversation about, you know potentially you know making a bit more effort in our lives in whatever aspects of our lives we want to improve is probably going to lead to better results maybe not short term maybe not like sort of in the first couple of weeks but over the longer term you can you can you can change that and it's interesting because you talk i mean we talk at you know, a lot of the conversations, and funny enough, the interview I did before before this, Andy, we talked about measuring impact because hmm. you know kindness uh, is quite esoteric, isn't it? You know, it's one of those things where you go, well, how do you just you, you can't just put a ruler against it? <laughs> We've had this much, so talk to me how like you how you did that, how how did that happen? Oh, again, it is through partnership and it's through friendship yeah. with the city. And I think yeah. traditionally the church hasn't got it. And I'm very clear. Listen, you, you know, you hang around me more than a few minutes. You realize I'm just as messed up and as broken as anyone else. And we don't always get it right. But the one thing that we a church generally hasn't done right is there's sometimes a fear of church about connecting with people who maybe don't believe what they believe as well. Yeah. But what we've done is said, look, if you are for the city, then we've we got don't more care. in yeah, we yeah. So it's actually our um, Michelle Masters, who heads up Carlisle Ambassadors, who actually connected us. Um, so when we first started the church, there was this little tiny advert in the Cumberland News saying, hey, listen, if you want to help um, Carlisle be a better place to live, work and invest, then Carlisle Ambassadors is starting. So right from day one, we said, we're all in. We're all in. You know, you know what? It's, it's interesting you say that because you spoke, we spoke before about what incentivized me to start the kindness project. 
And one of the reasons was a firm, firm belief that there's more that connects us than divides us. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? And people like you are doing amazing work, sort of just reminding uh, reminding us that, that, you know, even with the stuff that divides, divides us, you know, understanding that, you know, there's a collaboration to happen there to understand a bit more is the starting point. I, I mean, when you boil it all down, the one thing I'm relentless in saying, whoever I meet, no matter their story, no matter their background, no matter what abilities they have, no matter what resources they have, no matter what they've got in their hand or the heart, I will always say you are a gift to the city. Like you are a one-off, unique, yes. um, like there's nobody quite like you. Um, what you can bring to the party, nobody else can bring. And I don't care if you think it's big or it's small. If you look out for your neighbor, if you're a good neighbor in the city, you're doing the man, job. Yeah. Like that, that would, like, you want to end all wars? Be a good neighbor. Yeah. You want to end division? Yeah. Be a good neighbor. Yeah. Like, it's not complicated, I don't think, this kindness thing. Incredible mental steps right you know start small and then it and then and then it and then it builds and i suppose i suppose part of the reason that i wanted to chat is because i heard about the sort of give a day for the ct project that you do tell me a bit about that oh this is one of my favorite things because you would love it and if you ever want to come on and hang out for some of the time you'd be so so welcome so this started... can i can i bring a kayak so i can go for a little kayak on the lake because listen that is one of my favorite things to do okay listen we're renovating an old house and we've got space for you and your family to come and stay oh we can oh, even do a amazing. house swap or something we're going to be Perfect. friends for a long time so there's some beautiful places for you to kayak um you're so welcome and um yeah so this idea of give a day it, it kind of started actually i remember maybe 12 years ago i was sitting with some other church leaders talking to our mp at the time and everybody's questions was about what can the mp do for us and i just kind of got thinking ah oh, I wonder if we've got this the wrong way around. No disrespect to the MP, but the MP, they can only do certain things. They can only have yeah. a certain sway. Um, and so this idea kind of began to bubble in my heart. But, and it simply is, it's the simplest of ideas. It simply says this, what would it look like if each of us looked in our hands, looked in our hearts and gave away that one thing for one day. So if you're a builder, you give away, you build, like if you're a brick, skills, you yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If if you're a bank manager, wow, that, that's different, you know? If you're a business leader, what, whatever you've got in your hand, whatever resource you've got, what would it look like to give that away for one day? And there's something within us, Chris, and I'm sure you've seen this, there's something within us as people comes alive when we live a life bigger than our own. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and I used to think that give a day was all about delivering these big projects. To be honest, the actual projects has gone to the bottom of the pile of importance. And we still want to deliver the project, but we've realized that the, 
um, the connectivity with people, the community part of um, kind of like this community task. You know, we want to get the task done, but we want to build community. Yeah. We did this one project and this was a beautiful project. Carlisle has flooded a number of times over the years. Right. And um, in 2005, 2006, it's flooded again. And there was a number of properties that were not insured. No fault of their own, because if you've been flooded within 10 years, it's really hard to Difficult get it. To, yeah. So we, we, um, uh, man, I, I, I've got to be careful because I can feel my heart welling up. Loads of people were doing Andy, stuff. just so Sorry. you know, right, mate, you are allowed to cry. I ah. cry on the podcast all of the time. So, so if, if you feel it, feel free. Well, part of the thing is I, I can I can see stories, I can see people, you yeah. know. Yeah. So part of what we were doing, and and we were not alone. L- like the floods were the worst for some people, but you know, the floods also bring out the best in the city. So Carlos saw the worst of the storms, but the best of the people. My me and my boy, so I've got two kids, Noah, who's 14 now, and Anna's who is who is 11. So this was like what. Is that six, seven years ago? Six years ago, and um, one evening, because he was it was December time and he was cold, we were going around some of the homes that had been flooded, and the flooding had gone up. Like they filled the whole living room. You can imagine how scared you'd be. You're upstairs and the water's coming up. So even today, we've got people in Carlisle who are scared when it rains because they're like, when will it finish? Anyways, we went to this street that had been kind of overlooked and forgotten by people. And I said to my son, listen, I don't think anyone's there. Let's move on. But he knocked and he waited. And we had these little Cadbury's chocolate fingers. It was nothing. It was like a quid. But this house, um, the torch came on upstairs. This guy came downstairs, he's in his 60s, and he opened the door. And he just looked white, um, like scared, anxious, nervous, looked like he hadn't slept. And we just said, listen, my name's Andy, this is Noah. And we just want to let you know that you haven't been forgotten. And we handed him the one pound box of chocolates and something magical, something spiritual, something happened in that transaction between my um, boy, he was what, nine at the time, handing it over. Suddenly that box of chocolates became a box of courage. Yeah. Anyways, we, we built a friendship with this guy and I remember sitting outside of his house a couple of months later, thinking of things like DIY SOS. And then I'm like, why not Carlisle? Because Carlisle is a bit of a bypassed place. People will say, oh, Carlisle, I, I, I bypassed Carlisle. And I'm like, Carlisle, yeah. you're not bypassed. You're, you're not a... Yeah, yeah. You see it on the motorway sign. And, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and sometimes that kind of gets into the people a little bit. And I'm like, come on, we're Carlisle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it wasn't that wasn't the starting point of giving day, but through Carlisle Ambassadors, they were so generous. They just opened up the platform and said, Andy, come and share your heart, come and share, give a day. And I just 
Love said, it. come on, Carlisle. What, what's in your what hand? What's do? in your heart? Give it away. Yeah. This girl, Melanie Taylor, incredible lady. Um, she's a HR amazing expert. We we met with Miriam Lowe, who helps lead Give a Day. Oh, I'll tell you, just without Miriam, Give a Day would still be in my heart and I'd be running around frustrated. Miriam, well, look, we, 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 we've already spoke about this, Andy. You need people who can organise you really well. If you're an ideas person, you need somebody to go, you know what, can you? Can we get this done? And they go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like you're, you're Miriam's part of that, part of that thing. Oh, I, absolutely. So Miriam, we do Give a Day. We are 50-50 in this. And she'll say, Andy, you came up with the idea. I'm like, yeah, but you you done something with that idea. Anyways, we met with Mel um, in Sainsbury's um, food bit. And she's like, listen, I'm happy to get involved in Give a Day. If you anything you're wondering, and I'm like, how do you feel about renovating some properties? Says, yeah, yeah. And she's like, I'll give it a go. And we said, well, listen, we don't have cash. We don't have anything, but we've got loads of encouragement. And we think you can do it. Anyways, she eventually got 35 individuals and trades to come oh, and help renovate this house. Something that. like 37,000 pounds worth of stuff just got done. Love and I that. remember being part of it in that week. And, and you know, loads and then friendships have happened from there. Yeah. And this guy said, um, he said, listen, I wouldn't wish to go through it all again. But having met so many good people, I I wonder if it's been worth it. I, I, it's, and I, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we, again, you know, one thing that comes up uh, on the podcast, particularly over the last sort of year or so, because um, we, uh, you know, uh, the challenge you've got is when you think and talk for a living, um, you just wonder what you can do practically to help Andy. So I, I, I felt that during the pandemic um, uh, that we could sort of do some kindness project, project lives on Facebook, and we were sort of doing sort of loads of loads of stuff um, during the pandemic, but. Um, interestingly, you talk about the floods, and I'll apply that to the pandemic as well. We were hearing about people being so generous and kind during periods of crisis that um, that you know you'd never wish a crisis on anybody. But actually, and I don't know how you've found it, but tough times sometimes bring out the best in people, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I feel like COVID's been a, a magnifier. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. It kind of madness. So, so if there's isolation already there and yeah. loneliness, um, then that will be magnified. Yeah. But um, and and there's a few little things like so. I I found the start of COVID really hard because, and I, I'm careful how I say this, but in some ways, and obviously all the personal heartache, like nobody wants to see that happen at all. But with a disaster, you're kind of like, okay, we can serve you. We can do something. But the start of COVID, I'm kind of like, okay, give a day. Here's how we're going to love our city. We're going to stay home. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like, not that yeah. I'm Batman, but I felt like the bat cave. What closed. could you do? Yeah, yeah. But then, but then I'd imagine, I'd imagine that what you helped with then had to adapt. Tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah, so what we so we've done loads of different projects, and and one of the things are Chris, absolute heartbreak. And a couple of years ago in Carlisle, in on Dixon's chimney, there was a the, the most heartbreaking situation where a gentleman had climbed the chimney in the middle of the night and he to to take his own life. It was just the most heartbreaking thing because he he the gentleman slipped at the top and he and he, he got into a really predicament where he was crying out for help in the night and and people weren't able to rescue him and and so sadly the gentleman died but everybody in Carlisle not everybody but so many people saw this and there was like traumatic just it was just traumatic to be around Carlisle at this stage mm. and one of the ways we're like well how do we serve our city how do we love how do we come alongside so one of the things that we did and this is where Carlisle City Council they they gave us like a thousand pounds to help make this happen we, we got small white bags Yorkshire Tea heard what we were going to do and they gave us pallets of tea. McVitie's Biscuits heard what we do and they gave us some tea uh, biscuits. And we put some little cards of courage in there. We put some sweets in there. And we went round to a thousand households around the chimney. We knocked on the door and said, listen, you know the heartache that's happened and we just want to let you know that you haven't been forgotten. We see you and you're not alone. Love it. And we just said, listen, if you need, we're here. And then we talked to the people at the cafe at the bottom and they gave us a room and we just created this space to talk, really. Now, I'm saying that because when COVID happened, we realized that this mental health is just going to be a like a tidal wave, really. So again, Miriam, the marvelous, wonderful Miriam, she pioneered this idea of space to talk. So nearly every Friday during COVID, we've been in Carlisle City Centre with a team of people who've been trained as listeners. Partnership with NHS, Carlisle City Council, and this small team of people give away a couple of hundred bags of courage every Friday. And we say to people, hello, have you had your free bag of courage yet? And of course, some people would be like, no, what is it? And other people are like, what? I've never got out for now. What's that? You're tricking me or something. <laughs> but you know, it has led to so many conversations. And we'll just say, hey, how's COVID been for you? How are you? And um, I'll just tell you this quickly, Chris. You know, sometimes when you have no idea what you're doing and you think, oh, it's just a bag of courage or it's just a you know, somebody's writing a little postcard with somebody and people who are listening, you know, they've done good deeds. They've knocked on the neighbor's house. They've called somebody when they felt prompted. They've done these little acts and you think they don't really matter. Well, I just want to encourage every single person, no matter how small your action, no matter how short your text, no matter how small and insignificant you think it was, it can be absolutely life-changing for someone who receives it at the right time. Um, George Kinders also lives in Massachusetts. <laughs> oh. he, li he lives in Massachusetts. 
lives in Massachusetts, which is a state, isn't it? But he spends several months a year in London and Hawaii. Oh! <laughs> Did you know, in Hawaii, there's too many noise complaints, so now they can only do Aloha. No, that's got it wrong. I missed half the script. So now they can only laugh under a certain decibel. Now they can only do aloha. <laughs> you should tell him that joke. No. Right, is that guys? What? I buy stuff for pack lunches. I bought twelve drinks for pack lunches for this week. Mm-hmm. There's one left. I produce. It's not funny, so because I'm. So I'm a bit skint until Thursday. Look, well, yes. see what I mean? They've got no idea. It's not about that. I buy them for pack lunches. That money comes from somewhere. Mum's right. I don't either. So, what are you whispering now that my back's turned? Charlotte said she has a drink. I had a cotton earlier. Do you want to talk to each other, shall we? Sorry. Everybody. This is the tribe eating. Then while it's still in the house. Right. What's this? Right. If you, on your laptop, open it up. Yeah. Three, two, one. Uh, I feel that it's going to be. I'll fold this to you. Eight or ten tall, yeah? Yes. Can you put your card together? I'm a hanger. Then we've got the questions on. Is that Brennan? Yeah? Look, it's Brennan. I don't know who Brennan so, is. How many lights don't need to be on? Can we turn them off? Jesus Christ. <clears throat> You don't know who Brennan is. Do you know who Brennan is, Raz? I don't. Brennan Lee Mulligan. I'm, a, I'm not familiar with him. Yeah. You're not familiar with his work? No. Brennan. His mum's a graphic novelist. Brennan. He's a graphic novelist, apparently. No, his mum's a graphic novelist. <laughs> He's what? His mum's graphic. Oh, well. You know, she writes sci-fi graphic novels. Yeah. You didn't end up 50 shades of Brennan or anything like that then. Good on Brennan's <laughs> mum. Do you know, my God. Oh, good. No. She's a bit territorial over that drumstick. Brennan's mum. And Lee Melligan's mum. Yeah. Right. And that questions for the interview we've got coming up. What would have been these ones? Right. That I've already got. Yeah, we're scrolling down so I here. Don't worry about Googling Brennan Lee Melligan's mum. <laughs> right. Now, where is our guest? Elaine Lee. Yeah. She looks old. She was an actress, apparently. Uh, yeah, of course I... Right. Okay. You ready? <laughs> I'm going to mute myself. We're already recorded.
All right, no worries. <laughs> Sophie, what are you dead neck in there? <laughs> right up. Go and get your pajamas on, Blaze. Sorry. Come. Upstairs. Hi. Hi, George. How you doing? No. Uh, you're on mute and I can't see you. Yeah, here I am. Hey, here. hello. How you doing? Hi. <laughs> how are you? I'm well. How are you? Very good. Very good. Let me get the sound up here a bit. No mm -hmm. worries. Have you got a camera or are you? I mean, it doesn't matter because it's an audio yeah, podcast. I yeah, yeah, here I am. Great. I can see you now. I'm, right. I'm Chris. This is Charlotte. Hey. Hi, Charlotte. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How's your, uh, how's your day going? So far, so good. Yeah, and yours is just about over, I guess. Well, it, it's getting to the end. Yeah, it's getting to the end. It's a bit, it's a bit cold here in London, so um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I I started cycling to work in October. I, I think I've picked the worst season to start that habit. Oh my um, golly! Well, we're we're um, I, I spend except for this COVID time, I, I spend three or four months a year in London. Yeah. Uh, where where are you? Where are you based? We're 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 in East London. We're in uh, we're on the uh, we're on the um, East London Essex borders. So the postcode is an Essex postcode. Uh, we're we're in a London borough, so I'm yeah. still trying to work out where we are. Yeah, people ask where I live, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. between Essex and uh, and London. So yeah, it's uh, it's well, that's great. Well, I envy you. We're we're eager to get over. Uh, we've got tickets we purchased now. Of course, we thought COVID was coming down. Now Ukraine's coming up. You know, <laughs> what do we do? But we're. Um, uh, when are you planning to come over? We're coming over in, uh, in at the end of June, mid to end of June. We spend ten days with family in London, and then we go down to Cornwall. Uh, Amazing. For, and we may go up to Scotland because my daughters are looking at uh, uh, university right now, and uh, and they're interested in uh, both the University of Edinburgh and St Andrews. Among you know, the the only two you know. Uh, non-American universities. Sure. Uh, but when, I mean, it's interesting because Charlotte's going this year, so she's up to September. Um, and um, uh, the top one on the list is actually a Scottish university. So Strathclyde in Glasgow. It's in Glasgow. Strathclyde. I love Glasgow. I um, spend much, much more time in Edinburgh, but recently... When I, as I did my tour for Golden Civilization, I spent some real time in, in Glasgow. What a city. You know Fantastic. what? I, th I think, I mean, Edinburgh is amazing, isn't it? Because it's, yeah, you know, history it and culture. Yeah. And we, because, because our, we'll, we'll just start the interview in a minute, George. But um, <laughs> uh, when the, when the, um, when uh, Cassie's, my wife's mum and dad live in Ogbrook, which is sort of the, the, probably about an hour north of, of Edinburgh. Oh yeah. So what we what we try and do is every time we go up in the summer, <clears throat> do a 
do a week at the Fringe Festival. Okay, um, yeah, love it. Yeah, oh, amazing, okay. such yeah. a good atmosphere. Yeah. In, in that's kind of that's how my my wife and I met in a way was at the Fringe Festival, um, uh, coming from different parts of America uh, in, in August. Uh, anyway, uh, right, now that that is the conversation <laughs> to start the interview with. We'll start with that because that's a, that's a good one. Right, let's start the interview and then we can include all this and stuff. Right, great stuff, <clears throat> George. Thank you so much for joining us on the Kindness Project. We really appreciate it. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Great to be here. I envy you your time in London because that's where we, we long to be. And uh, as a family, we're coming over in a few months. Can't Amazing. Wait. Amazing. What is it about London you love? Well, I, um, I love the culture, but my family, uh, my wife is an actress and she's founded a theater company in the Boston area and, and has used acting skills to train people as a consultant all over the world. Um, so, uh, so we're, and, and my two kids are both thespians and so we're into theater, but we're also into music. We love the culture of London. We love the yeah. history. There's always, I mean, I, I think tired of London, tired of life is so true you know there's Absolutely. always stuff happening yeah. there. and you yeah. know you know what's funny i um and we've, we've done this a couple of times haven't we one of my favorite things to do in london is um going to the globe theater by the Zales bank yeah. Yeah. and i never ever buy the posh seats right i, I, I always want to stand where the action is and where the actors are coming in and out it's oh, amazing, yeah. it's amazing yeah. isn't it? right. um we went i think we were watching Macbeth, I think it yep. was, and sure. um, so we were starting to make uh, make our way out during the performance. I can't remember why we were leaving, um, but one of the actors who was playing Macbeth had come out to come round on the outside. Oh yeah, and I think Mum got shouted at, <laughs> at one yeah. point. Yeah, we, just, we got in the way of the actors, which is <laughs> a place where where you want to be. So cool. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's really, it's really, it's really good fun. So we we started, we we finished the intro to the conversation with you telling us about how you met your wife, sort of via Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Fringe. Tell me a bit about that. Well, it was really, I mean, we didn't actually meet at the Fringe, but we uh, um, we kind of discovered our, each other through the Fringe. I, I uh, used to go to the Fringe whenever I could, whenever I could find a place in Edinburgh to stay. And uh, so I was going to the Fringe this one year and I saw just an incredible play um, based on a Melville short story uh, from the 19th century. And it was in a small theater up there, you know, it was definitely Fringe. Yeah. And it was the best thing that I saw there. And it turns out that um, in the audience, possibly on the same day, was my wife. From right. We were both from Boston. She was up there. She was visiting that. I mean, I just looked at it because I love great theater. Yeah. She was looking at it because her ex-husband, who she's friends with and everything, is a theater director and a playwright. And he had written the play. And right. we both felt it was the best thing we saw at Edinburgh. So among other things, there were many other things. But you know what's, um, you know what's interesting yeah. about the fringe for me? I love the fact that you can go up there, you know, and yes, you might book some a comedian that you really want to see or yeah, right. uh, a show you a show you really want to come and see. The one that always gets me is that show you didn't expect to be good. You know, yeah. it's that element where you go. I turn up at the fridge box office and go, should we try that? Should we try that? Should we try that? And they're the ones that tend to 
tend to be amazing. But yeah, no, the the the, the fringe the fringe is uh, an incredible place to be. So yeah, it's um yeah it's it, it's good fun. And as you say, London is a great place. So for the uh, for our listeners who don't know about you, tell uh, tell us a little bit about you. Well, that's a that's a huge question and uh, uh, kind of hard to do. But the uh, I mean, what, where where I'm known best, I think of what I'm known for. I, I'm an, the author of six books. Three of them are on money, and but mo- mostly on our relationship to money. So it's the human side of money that I'm known for. I've trained advisors from thirty countries, thousands of advisors from thirty countries in in depth training on how to listen better to their clients and how to find what really would inspire their clients to live the best life uh, they're meant to live. So it's really about freedom. It's about listening. But I also wrote, um, I've written a book on uh, of poetry and photography, and I'm now producing five more books on poetry and photography. I've written okay. a book on civilization, as you know, and I've written a book um, on mindfulness. So I, uh, on mindfulness practice, I've been a mindfulness practitioner for 50 years and taught mindfulness for 35 years. So I'm really all over the place in terms of what I do, but I, I, but I live a a passionate life uh, in nature, on a pond in, uh, in Littleton, Massachusetts. And when you're thinking about a subject for a new book, what is it that inspires you to to pick to pick a subject? Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that has inspired me most is uh, is freedom. Yeah, and and, I, and it's how I understand freedom. In, in any case, some people use it in, in different ways, but I think that we that Homo sapiens, human beings. We were not born to be enslaved by autocratic systems or anything like that. We were born to live freely. And so the question is, how can we maximize that freedom? And my experience is that the more freedom there is around me, the more other people are feeling free, the more joy and delight and kindness and generosity and wonderful things, innovations are happening. So my passion has been... How can I deliver that in a variety of ways? And some of it is in environmental, because my latest series of books are are kind of related to the environment. Some of it's civilization-wide. And the area that I'm most known for is in the financial advice area, because financial advisors are trying to do that, but they're trying to do it with money. And I just want them to be much better. More open-minded, right? More open-minded and to be really there for the client, totally to serve the client. So that's... That's now, it. Just out of interest, what book are you most proud of? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, uh, probably, this may surprise you, but my latest one, I, I mean, I think if I think of the legacy that I have, yeah. I, I think that most people think that my legacy is being in what's called life planning, which is the financial planning area. But I think of my legacy, when I arrived here, you can see the, this is our driveway. Right. Okay, so that's going into our place, and it's under Volvo. I'm assuming it's a it's a, a picture of your driveway, it is a not picture. just sitting in your driveway. Yes, <laughs> it is a picture. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so I when I arrived here, I arrived here 30 years ago, and I took one look at the place, and I thought this is paradise. I want I want to capture this. I want to live every moment 
in the weather of this place, in the experience of nature in this place. And I want to capture it every day with a poem and every day with a photograph. And so I've done that for 30 years, and now I'm putting them together uh, so that every day of the year is like a, it's like a book of hours, a book of Amazing. Sayings. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. So you've got a poem for every day and a photo for every day of the year? Every day. Yep, every day of the year. Love it. Multiple, multiple of each of those, usually two or three. Of Love each. it. And is that, is that the next, as you said, that's the next five books that are going to be published over that's the next few years? The first one's out and, and you can subscribe to it for free. You can get it in your email on a weekly basis. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and the other four are within a year of being complete. And the other four are spring, summer, winter, and fall. The first one Love is- Love it. Is a yeah. weekly edition. The next are daily editions. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's really good. You know what's interesting? I know we we're, I said that we'd probably go off topic when I emailed you about <laughs> this because we're normally doing these things. <laughs> I'm reading a really good book at the minute called The Daily Stoic. Right, so oh, it's yeah, sure. full of full of Stoic uh, philosophy. But the idea of the book is you only read a page a day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a natural, actually. It's not a natural way of consuming a book. Yeah. And it takes a bit of mindfulness and discipline to say, I'm going to stop after a page. But right. having that daily practice of just sitting and reading the page is really interesting. I do it in the morning. It's, uh, Absolutely. it's, it's a really useful, really useful uh, thing to do. It. Yeah, it's I really good. It. Talk, talk to me about because I know that you know the sort of the work side is the Kinder Institute and you do a lot of that. I know you do a lot sort of more broadly, but tell me about the work you do at the Kinder Institute. Yeah, the um, we've we've trained I think four thousand advisors in thirty countries, and uh, but the strongest our strongest base is in the U.S. and then in the U.K. and then in the Netherlands, and uh, but we've got people all over the world, and what we what we and, and they're in-depth trainings, two-day trainings, five-day trainings in the six-month mentorship. And those trainings are training people uh, in how to listen for, uh, how to listen to their clients so that there's a more, uh, more connection, there's more yes. possibility of something profound, uh, so that the clients feel that they've got a great friend who's also really accomplished in the yeah, financial yeah. world but who's really there for them and whose priority is not getting paid money for their stocks and bonds their guilt yeah. whatever you, you call it in it's the UK. adding genuine value to, to their lives but, but they're exactly they're they're there this is a person that they would in a crisis they'd call because they know they would be listened to and uh, care and cared for, empathized with in, in a moment, or the the uh, the longings, the inspirations would be caught by the advisor and say, you know, that sounds like what you really want to do. And yeah. we we, we train them to listen in ways that nobody has ever listened to clients before in the financial world. So it's a so it's a wonderful. It's been wonderful, and that's and then we give them the designation. It's a life planning designation. So. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, I know I know a couple of people who've done the sort of both yeah. two day and five day course. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. I know I know Tina Weeks is a oh, massive of advocate yeah. of, <laughs> of yours, but a friend of mine, Sam Wybrow. Um, oh, Sam, yeah. Oh, um, I got <laughs> Sam, Sam, Sam is Sam. Yeah. Actually, Sam was interesting because 
he's he mentioned the profound effect it had on his life yeah. before he started using it with clients. Do you find that happens quite a lot with the advisors that go through the process? Yeah, what happens, the way we train, you know, most people think of trainings as very intellectual and academic. We don't train that way. We train experientially. Yeah. So, so we give them the experience of, uh, of listening to their clients. But the only way you can do that is by having someone else. Somebody listen to them. Exactly. Yeah. So they get life planned while they're practicing life planning someone else. So everybody, when they come out of that five day course in particular, and now it's four day on Zoom, but in, out of that five day course, the evoke course, they are on fire to live the, the best life they can live. And they hadn't been thinking of that before. Yeah. And uh, they've been thinking, oh, it's two years away or five years away or when I retire. And now they're going, yeah. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to live that yeah. way now. Yeah, yeah. And, but at the same time, they've been trained how to really listen to their clients. So it's inside out, the training. And it's yeah, a yeah. wonderful experience. It's inspiring. It's interesting. There's a, there's a, a friend of mine, a guy called Patrick Luong, who, funny enough, used to work with uh, Ruth Sturkey. Um, oh, yeah. So, so uh, many moons ago uh, now. But he, he went through a bit of a life planning process. And part of his life plan is he didn't want to be a financial planner anymore. Um, and the, re the reason we knew him is because he, we knew him through the financial planning community, but then he joined the charity sector and he's been a massive advocate of the, the work Fantastic. we do here at the Kindness Project. Yes. And the, yes. the funny thing was, I hadn't, during lockdown, we'd sort of sent a couple of emails and, and stood in ch touch, but I hadn't seen him for ages. And um, I did the, uh, I ran the London Marathon last year, George, in October. So, yeah. so thank you. So, um, so I, I actually, uh, the first time I saw Patrick face to face in about two and a half years was at Canary Wolf when I'd done 19 miles running the marathon. And I, I was so emotional, and I don't know when I should have done this on the back end of COVID. I gave him a big hug as I ran past. Um, and he must have enjoyed it, because he was waiting for a, a hug at 21 miles as well. So, so I got two hugs from Patrick. But do you find, I mean, there was a question uh, somewhere there. Do you find that actually that life planning process can facilitate somebody potentially turning around and saying i've got my ladder up the wrong wall absolutely absolutely and i mean the uh one of the uh, uh companies we worked with was in the netherlands and it was a ing a big you know big insurance company yeah. and the um the guy who ran it at the time uh was a, a little kind of Gosh, he, he seemed very professorial and uh, more, more like a, a teacher in some way. And a lovely guy, a warm guy, great sense of humor. And I gave this five-day training and one of the guys, and you, we don't let more than 12 or 14 people into it. So it's a very small training. He comes, the CEO comes on the last day and he hears that this one guy has decided he wants to play the guitar instead and is going to leave the firm. And so he corners me, the CEO does, and he says, George, I hear uh, Jared over there is going to be leaving the firm to play guitar. 
and then he burst out laughing and he said <laughs> <laughs> he said i want my people to be happy and if yes, that's what exactly. makes it i am so thrilled and uh he just believed in his community and yes. so we built quite a quite a culture out of that so yes there is this um enormous uh life planning's infectious because you're so excited about your life that you kind of spread that joy and that enthusiasm around and i i think life and business should be about people you know it's people first mm -hmm. isn't it that's the important absolutely. thing absolutely so, so one one of the things that i was really fascinated to ask you and, uh, and it it's about one ebook the seven stages of money maturity particularly pertinent for what we're talking about today in terms of kindness tell me a little bit about how aloha using money for kindness works in your world and from your perspective well it's actually it's actually different um from what you might think uh okay. um the uh the book seven stages of money maturity is about going through a hero's journey, becoming more adult in a way, becoming stronger with our hearts, with our heads, with the energy of our body, uh, working through the dilemmas that uh, we face that make us act out in ways, react to be reactive and all that. So it's a, really a psychology of money and it leads to two states at the end. One of them is visionary. And that I think is very related to what you guys are talking about in the Kindness Project. It's about actually reaching out and doing amazing things in your community. It could be very small, it could be very large. Aloha is a little different from what you might think because aloha is the passing of a blessing from one person to another, regardless of economic difference. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you're taken by surprise. Someone, maybe it was someone just sleeping on the street in London does something to you that touches your heart where you're blown away that they, that there's so much kindness from them to you you don't know them you're totally different walks of life all that kind of thing and you go wow that's amazing and it yeah. changes your life so it's those um uh uh random acts of kindness they're called sometimes right and, and you see that a lot um so it's it's more that than it is necessarily using your money financial yeah but it could be one of the sweetest ones that i i tell the story of this person who uh you know how in uh you can you, I don't know if this even exists anymore, but you'd get newspapers, you'd put some coins in a newspaper thing and you get pull a newspaper out. And uh, so um, uh, there was a person who... It's that unexpected thing, isn't it? You exactly. Know, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This person saw a little... little uh, you know, 10 year old girl always search and see if there were any coins left in there. And he and he lived and he worked across the street and in a convenience store. And every when she was coming home from school every day before she came home, he'd go over and he put a little coin in that machine for her. And Love she she didn't discover that until 20 years later. She didn't know who it was. She didn't have no, she thought she was getting it because the machine didn't work. <laughs> but it turns out that he that he'd been doing it all these you know for for the for her Amazing. and yeah. so uh, yeah yeah so anyway it's these little these little acts of kindness you don't even necessarily know about them but um, yeah it's just i mean we 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 i mean we did the the the, the person who springs to mind about that is a lady called bernadette russell yes. who's uh yes. who's, a, who's a who's a fellow londoner she lives in she lives south of the river though doesn't she so uh so a little bit different down there um uh but 
but we we loved her story because she um post the london riots decided to perform one random act of kindness a day for a year oh, and cool. her book about how she did it was incredible i'd i'd, I'd, um, I'd definitely recommend yeah. it certainly recommend it so give me an example of how, how we can practically do more things that sort of uh, align to a lower well, I, I think the, um, the I, I actually think that it comes naturally. Uh, the more that we've developed our strengths, our maturity as a human being. So I think that um, uh, uh, being intelligent, if we're talking about money, being intelligent around money and not acting out in a foolish yeah. way is helpful, actually. Yeah. I think that... Yeah. Developing your ability to listen to other people will uh, is also so that's developing the heart. Um, being able to listen and empathize with other people means that you'll be able to see more quickly and easily. Ah, that's that's what I need to do. Or wouldn't that be wonderful yeah. to do? And then the third thing, these are all in the seven stages. The third a stage of maturity is vigor, is um, just finding more vitality in your life. And the way, the best way to do that is to live your life plan, to live who you're meant to be. Yeah. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It may sound like it's doing all this stuff for yourself, but all those things are developing you so that you're more there when a, a possible random act of kindness opportunity to do yeah. Yeah. And, and that and that that element of authenticity is yeah. so important, isn't it? So because I, I agree with you. You know, if you're not living your life in the way you want to do it, does you know and to a certain extent, pretending to be something you're not, then that has an impact on your life, doesn't it, in terms yeah. of the energy you yeah. bring to it? Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Why, why do you think we do that as a society? Is it just because we assume we've got to be in a box? Well, I, I think society's complex in, in a lot of ways, and, and it's certainly one. And, and, you know, we've got all the models of psychology that we know of that, uh, that come down to us. Um, I, I think there's a lot of different things. I, uh, uh, I, I think that, that freedom comes in. in I, the, my next book, after these books of poetry and photography, I've already got a, I've already got a first draft uh, recorded, and it is uh, a book on what I call the three domains of freedom. Okay, and those domains are each moment is yours. Your and that's mindfulness. Your life is yours. That's life planning, and um, civilization is yours. And that's something we're really troubled by right now, obviously, uh, wondering how that's happening. But in each of those areas, we hold ourselves back. So most of us don't even realize that there's a practice to master moments so that every moment is ours and we're not troubling ourselves and falling into reactive patterns. Most of us don't know that we can live our life plan as we want to. Um, and that's the reason that life planning exists. And most of us fall into a very codependent relationship with civilization. You know, why are our leaders leading us this way? Why are corporations doing this? Why is the government doing this? But it's all ours. Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, that, that's, 
I, I think it's complex, but I think it's time for us to take all those things on. Yeah. And how is it that you're managing to find the time to write all of these books? Because I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I start writing a book, I often go off the trail and start writing a completely different one. And I never, <laughs> never manage to finish one before I start another. So how is it you're managing to keep on track and keep writing these books? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm passionate. I'm dedicated and uh, and I've cut out, I mean, you know, you were talking about cutting, what do we need to do? I, I've cut out a lot of habits yeah. that would normally distract me. So I, I rarely uh, watch television. I when I'm I, I need to surf the web some to be able to understand what's going on in the world. And yeah. do the research and yeah, oh, yeah. Research exactly. is the best bit. But yeah. but I but I narrow I narrow that I don't get obsessive about it I narrow it and uh, and so that that's narrowed and um, and and the first six hours of my day I dedicate to what I think is most important and that's my writing yeah. and nature and living mindfully so I'm out out there in nature I'm you know I've got this this world behind me the world in front of me I, I live in nature and I live uh, and I immediately go from it to to writing so writing is my passion it's my dedication it's my meditation yeah. but that's a really good habit do what you love first in the day first, first whilst yeah. you've yeah. got the energy and, yeah. and, and move forward from there I suppose it's an interesting one because this is a struggle that we're both going through isn't it because I am because we've got four and a half years worth of really amazing people we've interviewed on the kindness project i'm currently writing the kindness project book Great. um and i've got I don't know, i've got about forty thousand words the bit that i'm struggling with is the editing process so i've just employed an editor to to help me with that so Good. so hopefully that will move forward but yeah i didn't know you'd employed an editor yeah i've got well, me I've got, I've got a meeting next week about that. So, yeah. So, yeah, sorry. I'll let, I'll let you know. I'll let you know I'm, I'm already in trouble because uh, I, I don't give you enough notice for interviews, don't I? Okay, great stuff. So, that we're here, actually. We, we'll move on to the subject of the interview now. We're, we're, um, we're here to talk about the golden civilization. Now, what I wanted to start is with a really super broad question What does a golden civilization mean to you? Well, I, I want to say, um, and I, I want to back up to the prior question just for a moment. When you were asking, how can you do it? Uh, how can you actually write so many things? Get life planned. If it's in your passion to write those books, you'll be much more on fire to do it and much clearer about the boundaries. So getting a life plan has been enormous for me and following my life plan, constantly reminding myself of it is very important. Back to the golden civilization. I want to say that what is important more, and I will answer for myself, but more than for me is what is a golden civilization for you? And what is a golden civilization for everyone we meet? And one of the things I did before COVID hit was I was on a world, world tour and I went all over the world and I went to Mumbai, I went to very poor areas, I went to, I, I went across Europe, I went to, I spent a lot of time in, in, um, in England, um, all across America, uh, asking people this question, what is golden civilization? You get it, gathering groups together and putting up on a wall what their image of a golden civilization was. 
And what was amazing to me was whether I was in blue country or red country, and I realized that's different in your country from our country, those colors mean different things. But whichever country I was in, whichever part of the country I was in, they came up with the same thing. What they saw, what they saw in a golden civilization was more kindness, more vitality, more compassion, more uh, uh, more fairness, uh, less false news and propaganda, more honoring uh, science, uh, more laughter. Everybody saw the same thing, less um, uh, uh, bigotry. Um, uh, all uh, less inequality. So all of these things were more democracy everywhere I went in the world. Everybody wanted more democracy. Yeah. So, so th these are the things that golden civilization stands for and it, for all of us. And my argument has been, it's time to do it with the planet getting smaller and smaller. I mean, here we feel, you know, crunched by war. We were crunched before this by the uh, oppositional uh, nature of our politics or by the planet concerns. Um, it, it, the planet's getting smaller and smaller and we're getting closer and closer. Look at us. We're talking from all the way across, you know, the Atlantic Ocean. We do this all the time now. It's so small. It's time to solve the world's problems and come together and make a great civilization. And we can do it gather together as a people. So I'm 100% with you on that. Um, the, bit, the bit that's interesting for me is, as you say, regardless of political persuasion or beliefs or principles, actually the underlying elements of what we're all looking for in our lives are pretty similar, right? Very similar. Um, all pretty similar. How do we start then to remove some of those barriers that have gotten in the way? Yes, there's there's a, a lot of different things. There are things we can do individually. If I look culturally, I mean, the most interesting thing right now is looking at what um, the Russian people think is happening in Ukraine, yeah. what the Ukrainian people know is happening in Ukraine, what China thinks is happening in, in uh, Russia and Ukraine, and what's what we think in the uh, developed uh, liberal uh, democracy world. And it's really what, what we think comes from the news we get. So if, if we have a media that, in fact, is really a free press and is really investigating and is not driven by oligarchy or autocracy or whatever, we, we will discover what it is that we want to have happen. In America, yeah. I'm sure this is the same in the UK, your press has gotten polarized like this and our press has gotten polarized like this so it no longer is looking no the press no longer looks and tries to create something that's actually truthful they more give one slant and one point of view so we need we that that's one thing we need from a cultural standpoint but i would say from each of us i mean we obviously democ we can't solve the world's problems without democracy which is yeah. one of good news elements, if there can be any yikes in this Ukrainian thing, is that we're, it's clarifying that we don't want autocracy. We want democracy, and the people of the world really want democracy. So, so standing for that, but what can we do? There's different things. Is that what you're asking? What can we do? Because it's, well, it's be, before we be, before we yeah. come on to that, I suppose there's yeah. a couple of elements that that, that are really interesting for me. There, I was talking to my wife Gazi about it actually uh, a bit earlier on. Ukraine's got a really interesting background in terms of 
fighting for democracy and there's a really interesting netflix documentary called winter on fire about ukraine when um one of their previously elected presidents who said that he wanted more democracy um looked towards russia um and um effectively the students in ukraine followed by a lot of the a lot of people who who, uh, who joined the protest were in Kiev in 2012-2013 protesting for him to go and uh, uh, somebody who would support their sort of journey to democracy to come in. Like a lot of um, sort of totalitarian sort of strongman leaders, his approach was we'll get the right police in there and crack down. And interestingly, they the um, the uh, people of Ukraine grew in terms of the protest, so that you know the main square. There was hundreds of thousands of people at one time. I'd recommend that um, certainly our listeners uh, watch Winter on Fire because it's really okay. interesting in in what people will do actually to protest totalitarian and 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 and, and those sort of regimes. I think it's. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. But, but I, suppose, I suppose the other point I was going to make was one that you mentioned about the news, because the, I suppose part of the challenge we've got is some of the news we get now is online, isn't it? You know, and and, and that's sort of governed by our own uh, particular perspective. Part of the reason we do the podcast is so that we can put some positive news out there. How would, and we'll come on to what people individually can do um, to, to sort of manifest a golden civilization in a minute. But what do we do to make sure that we're getting fair, balanced, nuanced um, information without getting overburdened with the, and, and, and developing a pessimistic view of the world? I, I think that we, um, uh, in America, we had something called a fairness doctrine in the 80s, where we insisted that news media be balanced. Uh, so even though they might lean left or they might lean right, they really needed to give the whole picture more. And, uh, and, and our politics was much more stable and much more conversation going on. Uh, so I think that we need to get, I think we do need to have some regulation in regard to that. But I think the other thing is in America, and I'm sure this is true in, in uh, the UK as well, we have, there are three people who own as much who have as much net worth as half of the American yeah. population, 170,000 people, three people. Um, so we have gotten way out of kilter. And when you have that much wealth uh, uh, in, in just a few hands, it's very easy to manipulate the news in a variety yeah. of different ways. So we need to bring inequality down dramatically and we need to more, uh, uh, to regulate that that there is you know science that there's investigative reporting that you know what is great journalism and we know what it is they teach it in schools um, we know what it is and how how to deliver it so we need to uh, implement more uh, some reg regulatory uh, 
uh, uh, schemes there as well, Chris. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and then we need to model that to the world is the other thing because China and Russia have just gotten more and more powerful with their autocracy, much as you yeah. might talk about the power of of uh, the people in the Ukraine Ukrainian uh, uh, video. At the same time, Russia and China have gotten more and more powerful. So we need to to recognize that it, it's important for us to stand up for uh, democratic values and to speak out for them, all of us. Um, I think you make yeah. a really fair point as well, because I think a lot of the conversations that happen, even though they might provide both sides of the coin, are about conflict as opposed to a starting point that should be, yes. I, in my opinion, what, what, why are we so similar? You know, as you yeah. say, you know, yeah. regardless of political persuasion, right. there's plenty of people who believe the same things and want the same things. Yeah. I think, Why are we not looking at that first and going, there might be some nuanced differences we need to focus on? I think, I think unfortunately, the reason the news is so skewed towards the violence and the, is because we are more likely to pick up and buy negative news stories. Yeah, and sure. that, sort of, yeah. that sort of influences what the newspapers are going to put on the front covers and what they're going to talk about yeah. and what they're going to publish and so unfortunately we're stuck in this sort of cycle where they're only putting the negative foot forward um and it leads to things like um i'm going to say the word correctly first time catastrophization so um i've been struggling with that rather you than me i've been struggling with that word since i was 15 years old i've got it right um so basically we the more negative news we read the more likely we are to assume a negative outcome is going to be the end outcome. But unfortunately, it is what sells and what we are yeah. subconsciously. Yeah. But it's to. not. The, I mean, that, it's interesting. It's a, it's not the reality, is it? Because most of us, no. millions right. of us on the planet, live in perfect harmony, trying to make the best of our lives. Right. Um, but we we don't we don't see that. So talk to me a little bit about how we can get closer to that golden civilization, George. What yeah. can we do? So um, individually, I think there are a number of things we can do. One of them speaks directly to what you're uh, talking about. Uh, and you can find this on my website. Um, but I, one of the things I did when I was traveling the world uh, talking about a golden civilization was I came up with a format of having conversations about how to change the world. And we started with, what's your vision? of a golden civilization. And we got this incredible vision. And then we go, okay, so what are the barriers to that? Then we look at the barriers, but first we get inspired by the vision. And, uh, and how we look at the barriers is we go, what could possibly get in the way if we all believe in a world of kindness and generosity, what could possibly get in the way? And they list the things. And then we go, okay, well, let's get to work. What can we do? what can we do to change this? And we built these communities of people who were constantly coming back and looking at what can we do uh, to make the change? Because we know that everybody wants this golden civilization. So the thing to do is to build that movement. It sounds like you're intrigued with doing that in your own way. And I think that's a very valuable thing. So one of the things is to promote golden civilization conversations and then action coming out of it because just the conversation isn't enough we yeah. need to be active otherwise we get into yeah but they're so powerful but they do this which is just codependency is all it is yeah. there's no yeah. reason to in a democratic society second thing is uh, you mentioned you, you believe that uh, uh people should come first in finance and there's this yeah. obviously the esg movement that i know you're very very well aware of i've 
been promoting a fiduciary statement that is um, that I think we ought to put into law that all organizations are required in order to get their corporate status or their nonprofit, non-governmental status, whatever it is, are required to put people first, democracy first, democracy first, and the planet first, required to, ahead of their own self-interest, so that we know that we can trust them when we yeah, begin yeah. to work with them. So that's the second thing. But I think the three the three other things are more personal. One is live your life plan. Go get life planned, get inspired, and live the life that you feel is the life you want to deliver into the world. Um, another thing is to, uh, and maybe it's just one more thing, and that is the practice of mindfulness is a very powerful practice to begin to master our ability to be here in a spirit of generosity and kindness. So I think those would be the things that I, uh, there might be one more, but that's, that's what I'm thinking of right now. Um, so that, that's talking. Yeah. So what part does mindfulness play in your life? Would you say? So how does it affect you in your life daily? So it sounds like just, just, Sounds like you've, it's been a daily practice for you for some time, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, over fifty. How long years. have you been? How long have you been practicing mindfulness? Over fifty years. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm and, seventy-four and, years and, old right now, and I'm turning seventy-four in a month. And I'm. Uh, and I've been practicing mindfulness. You said that's calling seventy-three and changed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not add the year if we don't need to. <laughs> but I've been practicing mindfulness for fifty um, years. Um, and um, and, and talk, yeah. talk to us a bit. Talk, talk, talk to us a bit about the sort of the the practice. Is it a morning thing? What what is it? How does it manifest itself practically? I um, I practiced uh, several hours a day. Actually, I'm one of these fierce. You know, some people are joggers, and you know. Uh, you know, running the marathon and all that. My marathon is what I what I want to do more than anything is to be uh, the master of the present moment. I want a mastery of the present moment. And yeah, I mean, consider this question for a moment. Um, and and my answer to your question about what what is it for your life? It's everything in my life. It means everything. It's huge. Um, but consider this this question. Uh, have you ever experienced a moment of freedom in the past? You know, and you're right, you say, yeah, of course, I, you know, whether it's walking the beach or celebrating with my family. Um, have you ever experienced a moment of freedom in the past? And it's a trick question I ask a, a large audience and I get everybody to raise their hand and say yes. And then I tell them that the truth is that they've never, that they answered it all wrong, every one of them, because we've never experienced a moment of freedom in the past. We've only experienced it in the present moment. In the present. In the present yeah. moment. We have never experienced a moment of freedom in the past. So why do we spend so much time studying the past, looking toward the future? I mean, they're valuable. It's not that they're not valuable, but why don't we spend an enormous amount of time mastering the present moment, if that's where freedom lies, if that's where all of our experience is. And that's what mindfulness is. And you ask me what it what uh, it does for me. I, I think I live many more moments 
I think I'm alive, I'm fresher, I'm more awake in many more moments of my life. And I do it mostly uh, hugely in nature. So I do, I have a meditative practice where I'm primarily following the breath, the sensations of the breath of my nostrils or my belly. Um, but I also spend a lot of time in nature, moment by moment, trying to really be here. And um, so, uh, and, and then it makes me a better listener. Frankly, that's why I teach it in my trainings for financial advisors. I, I listen better because I've listened better in here to who I am. Yeah, you've listened to yourself. Right? That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 how important is that nature element? I mean, certainly it's interesting during during lockdown, and I I I'd openly admit to not being a great meditator, but during lockdown. My meditation was going out for a run, and we we are we we at the house is on the back of a county park, so we've got plenty oh. of green space uh, nice. at the at the back of the house, and it felt very, it nice. felt it felt very very peaceful to me to just go out for a run in in the in green space. Because how important is being in nature for you, and, and meditating in nature. Huge, huge. The, um, in the work we do, we do in life planning, we come up with a, a vision of who we want to be. And um, by the way, is our internet connection okay? Mine's bouncing around just a bit. Mine's a bit, uh, I think our one's a bit patchy, and that's probably the okay. reason why, why we're doing it. But I'm, I'll make sure that Russ in the edit fixes uh, whatever, whatever we need to. Is that right, Russ? Yeah, that's fine. Cool. All right. Okay, great. Uh, so, um... so, so I think I think the question we I think the question we asked was uh, we were, we were talking about mindfulness and nature, right? So when I um, when we do our life plans, uh, when I did mine, when I uh, what happens is we come up with a vision that feels really extraordinary, and to me when I came up with my vision, it never had my job in it. Most people have family in it very strongly. Yeah. And as I've matured and had kids, it's had it in it. But I didn't have kids until I was in my 50s. So for a long time, it didn't even have family and children in it. The three things that were there were I, I wanted to um, live in the weather was my term. I wanted to live in the weather, and that's nature. And the second thing was that I wanted to live a deeply spiritual life. And the third thing was I wanted to create illuminated manuscripts. And that's what I'm doing right now with this mix of photography and poetry. So, but what I learned was that mindfulness looks at individual moments inside of us. It's watching sensations inside of us. Nature is the experience of sensations all around us, aromas, the wind, the movement of the body, all of these things, the temperature, the moisture in the air, all of these things. Chris, they're the same thing. Yeah. Whether you're following sensations in nature out there or you're following them in here, it's exactly the same thing. So living a profound life of mindfulness or a profound spiritual life is also living a life that is environmentally profound. Sure, sure. 
And you talk about the sort of map of mindfulness in the in the garden civilization. Um, what is that map of mindfulness, and how does it connect to the civilization which you're looking to build? Yeah, well, that's a very profound question, and and something I'd recommend people looking up, uh, look up uh, either online or get the book Golden Civilization because it's complex. But I will give you a short version of it that I hope will work. When I realized that. Uh, I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? Kids know it. The only moment that's ever really existed is the present moment. When I really woke up to that fact, I realized that all our maps of time and space are like, have this oval in them of, you know, and the future is out in, the, in one direction and the past is in the other direction. And you've got uh, spatial stuff going on there. And I thought, where's the present moment? If, if the present moment is where we feel free freedom, where we feel spacious, huge, uh, rich in our lives, where is that? And it, it doesn't exist. It's ephemeral in, in these maps of uh, time and space. So I thought I'm going to make a map where the present moment is the center of everything and is the most important element of the whole map. And that's what I did with the map of mindfulness. And I made it like an hourglass. And civilization is the oval at the top of the hourglass. Mindfulness and the, of the present moment is it's where you are. Yeah. It's the point. It's the point right in the middle of that hourglass. And then down below is what develops. And this is what I think is most interesting for your kindness project, is that the more that you practice mindfulness, the more you're letting go of all of yourself preoccupations. You're letting go of all of your stories of yourself. So you're cultivating selflessness. And what that means is that you're actually cultivating kindness. And it's you're removal of ego, isn't it? It's like you, total removal you, of ego. You said something really interesting where in your life plan, the job doesn't define you. And I think in Western society, we, we're, we're often linked to that status and role aren't we when in reality it means nothing does it it doesn't mean we're better people it just means we do a certain job yeah i mean you're like you're sort of, <laughs> sorry uh you're sort of um keyed to sort of what want to know what you want to do from like the age of 13 14 because you've got to pick your choices and of your yeah. subjects and then as you go on that subject to influence what subjects you can do from there and then the subjects you take from there influences what kind of job you can get so by the age of 13 14 15 you've already got to have your mind made up it's, it's really it's really interesting right that's right it's, we're having because charlotte's got exams coming up and 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 there's a pressure that comes with that and we had a we had a conversation the other day where i said to charlotte um uh, your exams, the success, you know, I want you to work hard and I want you to do as well as you can, but the success of those exams don't define you as a human being. Um, and and even if you do well and you try hard, great. If you fail, you get back up and try again, completely relaxed, but don't put... And to Charlotte, bless her, it feels like there's a, there's a lot on her shoulders at the minute, and I wanted to try and take that that off yeah. just by saying look you know that the, the defining factors on you as a human aren't based on your exam results or the job you do they're based on values and attributes and and things like that yeah and it's the challenge we've got is i think in a conventional traditional education system we don't teach those values enough do we 
No, we don't. And, and, uh, uh, and we teach primarily uh, thinking and analytic skills as, a, as opposed to experiential skills, yeah. wisdom, and uh, emotional maturity. Authenticity. Yeah. We do not teach authenticity yeah. at, at yeah. university. And uh, you, know, you can get it by reading and intellectually. You know, yeah. All of them have elements of it floating well, in. But I mean, I think part of the challenge is... is education designed to teach people for the industrial age and we don't live in the industrial age anymore you know that that uh, i don't think education's adapted as quickly as it probably needs to but we are hopefully we'll get there um so one of the other things you talk about in the golden civilization george's habits um and the need to change our habits what habits do you think we need to abandon and what do we need to adapt uh, adopt that, I, I love the question, Chris. And um, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, I think about, uh, I kind of order or organize in my mind right now, partly because I'm writing this book about it, that, um, that we are meant to live in three domains of freedom. We're meant to live in freedom and as human beings and and there are way different ways of of thinking of that i mean you go to a, a culture that's very poor and then think about it about earning more money and bringing more money into their culture and having more material freedom yeah. that's very relevant that's very important uh, as a stage of freedom in civilization i i think of it in three different ways i think that um uh, the, the subtitle of my book, the, the title of my book is The Three Domains of Freedom. The subtitles say it all. So the first domain is each moment is yours. And the second domain is your life is yours. And the third domain is civilization is yours. And so the question is, how do we rob ourselves of each of those experiences? So if we're not living each moment, as if as it is ours that's the domain really of mindfulness the more that we practice mindfulness the more we're coming back to individual moments and learning that hey we can actually experience more of them and let go of the stuff that blocks us so that's so that's letting go of the habits that take us away from being right here right now is one habit the second habit uh, that i would say is in regard to life planning and there it's like what you're talking to charlotte about about you know what's most meaningful about what's most important and i'd say even more important if charlotte for you to to get life plan to look at the three questions that i've, I've thrown out there in various books and things or, or go to a life planner and and just define what's that vision you know regardless of how you thought you were going to go what would be incredible life what would be the best life for you what would be yeah. the best life and then you let go of the habits that are standing in the way of that life so that's the second uh domain of freedom and the third domain of freedom is civilization and here we all feel blocked we all feel like we're second-class citizens compared to the politicians or the oligarchs or the autocrats and we need to get over that the truth is that we've claimed democracy you guys in the uk have done more than any other culture in the world for that and in my in my opinion in the history of, of humanity and uh, america's tried to pick up the and the slack and and be a leader in it as well but we need to stand up and say no this world is our world and we're gonna we're gonna speak out we may just be a tiny voice but the more of us speaking out the more power we have as we see in the ukraine and as we as we are inspired by them to say you know our vision of democracy and a democratic freedom of a healthy planet of a great civilization is one that we want to call out to and make happen.
So love we, that. And love let go that. of the habits that stand in the way of that. Love that. Right. So help me. I've, I've got a bit of a. I've got a bit of a paradox going on in my mind there, Jules. Sure. So Great. so we're both planners, right? We look That's at right. yeah. future focus, right? So so we are future focused. Um, but you've talked a lot about living in the present. How do you get the balance right? I don't think I am particularly successful at this, to be frank. How do you yeah. get the balance right between having that future focus for our own lives and the lives of our clients, but right. also making sure we live for today? Yeah, I, I think that there is that, that mindfulness is profoundly important for all of us to take up a practice that is uh, 20 minutes a day and is coming back to the present moment again and again and again in a very narrow field, usually at the nostrils or at the belly, just really narrow it down so that then you're seeing all the thoughts that get in the way and you can do something about it. So the, the question, this question of balance is profoundly important. It's not that that our world of planning is unimportant, irrelevant, it's profoundly important to our life plans. You and I have a vision, Charlotte has a vision of what our lives are meant to be. That vision is looking into the future. It's drawing on the past and we're moving toward it. And if our vision is compelling and we're passionate about it, it, it makes our life so much more meaningful. We'll take action towards it, won't we? Yeah. We take action towards it. But we, if we don't have this balance of living in the present moment, we get a little out of whack and we don't see things clearly and we don't see other people clearly and we and also we're not you know i suppose the idea of life is having an enjoyable one every day isn't it not, that's it every know, that's day. it if you're too if you're too busy rushing towards this future life that you think is going to be enjoyable you're not taking enough time to, to enjoy it today and mindfulness develops kindness yeah. because it develops selflessness so it brings more kindness into the fold. So the virtues in the map of mindfulness, virtues begin to permeate civilization the more that we do that kind of work. So before we finish, George, and I, I, I know because I've read two or three of your books, but share with um, Charlotte for me, please, if you don't mind, because I think she'll find it really useful. Those three questions that you talk about when you, uh, when you help people life plan, just share those with, uh, with Charlotte for me. Great, great, great. So Charlotte, the, um, uh, you always answer them in order. The first one's just imagine you have all the money you could possibly want for the rest of your life, okay? All the money you need for the rest of your life. Maybe you're not as rich as JK Rowling or the Queen of England, but you've got all that you need, all right? So if you had that much resources, what would you do with your life? How would you lead your life? So that's question number one. Okay, so that's- <laughs> that, that, I, I, You know what I love? Just that, I don't, I just, I don't know. That's deep. Just that flow of frustration was amazing. Good. You know, you win the lottery. You got it. You know, you can do what you want. So that's question number one. Question number two is more serious, but play with that. Have fun with that. Imagine all the places you'd travel and who you would be and what you'd study and where you'd go. And would you would you do work? What kind of work would you do? What would you what would you really enjoy? So that's number one. Number two is. Um, uh, this is much more serious, and this is life and death. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says to you, I'm so sorry, you have a rare ailment, and uh, you're, you'll, be, you'll live, you'll feel perfectly healthy for the rest of your life, but your life is going to be a short one. You only have five to 10 years left to live. 
So what would you do if you knew that you had this limited time frame, five to 10 years, then what would you pour your life into? What would you do? What would be most important? And I'd spend five or 10 minutes on each of these questions and I'd write them down. And the third question is the most important of all. And it's the most serious one. So if you thought that last one was serious, this one starts the same way. I, I was expecting the blows to get bigger. Right? Like the first one you went, and I, yeah. by the end, you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, so the third That's one is hard. It gave me too many options. Uh, yeah, exactly. too, too much too choice. <laughs> the third one, you go to the doctor, and this time the doctor says, "I've totally blown it." Um, you know, they'd been, she'd been doing some tests and said, "You know, I blew it." Um, you've had a rare ailment. And it's come to term. And you have 24 hours left to live. The question is not, what would you do with your time? The question is, thinking about all those things that you'd anticipated doing, all, all those things you'd anticipated accomplishing, all who, who it was that you'd anticipated becoming. And writing down then, what did you miss? Who did you not get to be? What did you not get to do? And write that down. And that's the most important question of all. And our life plans are hugely around that particular question. But, they incorporate but, some of the other things, but they're hugely around that question. And, yeah. and this is, I mean, this is part of the reason we do the kindness project, George, because it, as, as you said, a lot of this is about legacy, isn't it? You know, what do you want to leave behind in the world? Um, um, and and certainly we're, we're, we're sort of doing our little bit of, of doing it and you've done amazing work as well. So thank you so much. I've learned a lot today. Um, loved it. Oh, no, Charlotte's got a question. You missed the last question. No, no, you're going to do, oh, you're okay. gonna do the last question. I'll let Charlotte, um, should we do some actually with John? Should we have a bit of fun? Should we do some questions of the podcast? Yes, certainly. So, so actually, we've got we've got a couple of so what we normally do on the Kindness Project, George, is is to finish off an interview with our audience, and just as a bit of fun, we normally ask uh, a random question every week. So we've got some amazing questions we'd like to ask. Bit off topic, bit random, but we'll give it a go. go. So Charlotte's going to ask the first one. Uh, what is your favourite joke? What is my favourite joke? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I just... Uh, I just shared one the other day. You might not get it because it's language. It's maybe not my favorite one, but it's one that I just recently shared. And and you know how uh, in mathematics we learn that two negatives yeah, uh, make positive. Yeah. So there was this professor in New York City of mathematics, and he was asked by one of his graduate students, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I understand that two negatives make a positive. Is it ever the case that Two positives make a negative? And the professor went, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good. Very, very... I do like your language. Oh, Charlotte really appreciate that one. Um, oh, that's an interesting one. If they made a TV show of your life, George, what would they call it? <laughs> oh, my golly. Uh, uh, I don't know that about a TV show, but I, I hope that uh, my legacy is that uh, people think that I've, um, I've encouraged them to be more of who they are. Yeah. Um, okay. 
Charlotte wants to say one? Yes, yes, I would like to. Are you thinking, man? Yeah. What, um, uh, what's your favourite pizza topping? What's my favourite what? Pizza topping. Oh, pepperoni. I'm I'm a meat lover. I uh, Pepperoni? Yeah. Um, so do you have any inanimate objects in your house that you have named? <laughs> oh, God. Is that even on there? That's the so amazing question. So wonderful. What a wonderful question. My kids would probably come up with something that I've named. Uh, um, I used to call our refrigerator a video cassette recorder. Right. Which are my four or five and six-year-old daughters thought was hilarious. Brilliant, brilliant. I've been, I've been trying to push for us to call the car four because well, it's an electric car. So we've we've just we've <laughs> just nice. we've <laughs> just we've just converted to be uh, an electric car living in London. That makes sense, uh, and, yeah. and because of some of the sort of yeah. environmental stuff, yeah, um, yeah. Charlotte's desperate to name the car. But um, yeah. I, I want either Thor or Thunderbird. Thunderbird, that's good. <laughs> anyway, on that Great. note. Yeah, Where yeah. can people find out more about more about your work, George, and and your books and the work you do? Yeah. So there's there's two websites, and one of them would be the kinderinstitute.com, which is all about the financial uh, work that I've done, and the other one would be just simply georgekinder.com. And one of the cool things there, if they go on that right now, is you can get a free subscription in your email of my, of my newest book, which is uh, these beautiful photographs and poems of every week. But you'll also get, uh, so you, you have to sign up for it, but it's free. And But you also get, you'll get a description of all the books, uh, you know, all the different things I've, I've done, photography, you know, whatever. Yeah. Georgekinder.com and kinderinstitute.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've loved having you as a guest and hopefully you've enjoyed it too. Wonderful, wonderful. I want to hear about those three questions, what you come up with, Charlotte. Um, <laughs> go for Russ. it. <laughs> Russ, good? Yeah. Yeah, we're ready to go, mate. Oh, okay, good. Right, let's just... Uh, Let's just get Kevin's questions up. That's great. Kevin, you ready to go? Yep, whenever you are. Okay. <clears throat> Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the Kindness Project. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. It's Friday. I've just got back from the gym, so I'm feeling energised, so I'm really good. So talk to me about the gym then. So is it is it early mornings are your habit? You know, you like to, to get it done and get out of the way? Yeah, I mean... I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but I do expeditions. My hobby is to do expeditions, and to do those, I've got to keep my fitness level up. Hundred percent. And you know, I'm no spring chicken anymore, so <laughs> I, I need to do it pretty much every day. So I typically do five or six days a week, yeah. about ninety minutes, and I mix it up between gym work, cycling, rowing, and um, <laughs> dragging tires around the local woods. I, you know what, I like. I mean, I I do a so I, I'm similar to you. I'd probably do about five days a week. The my my favourite session during the week is a Saturday because then I get to go outside and yeah. I, I do a lot of sort of an outdoor boot camp. Flipping tires is great fun, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's 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 good stuff. So tell us tell us a little bit about you. Um, well, I'm uh, I'm a civil engineer by training. Yeah. Um, grew up in the northwest of of England and in North Wales 
um, studied civil and structural engineering at university, always wanted to be a civil engineer, became a civil engineer, then decided I wanted to do something different, studied for an MBA, did an MBA, studied accountancy. So I, as I say, I can, I can read a blueprint and I can read a balance sheet. And then I, um, I worked at a large chemical business for four years as plant accountant. And then I joined Porsche. Porsche was looking for somebody um, who could be the interface between the commercial team and the engineering team. And I took that role. And over the next five years, I worked my way up through the company until I found myself in a position where the company was in deep and desperate trouble. Right. And much to my surprise, they appointed me managing director. And I was 32 years old. I was as green as grass. Um, and my job was to fix the business, which which we did. You know, we built a fantastic team spirit. Um, we had a great team, but they needed leading. And so we we changed the mindset and pulled together a fantastic uh, culture. And within uh, four years, we took the business from number 32, which it was in the marketplace, out of 32 brands. We were the bottom right. of, the, of the market to number one. Has that measured? How, how, do, how do they, because I suppose that, you know, there, there's, there's sort of motor brands out there that are, you know, higher end, sell less units, but niche. How, how do they measure the brand, brand element? Well, we, we did it on customer satisfaction. So there's a national customer satisfaction survey. And, you know, I was never going to sell more cars than Ford. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to me, the, the key ingredient to success was when the customers say you're the best in the market. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what we were trying to get to. And, and that's where we got the business. Amazing. Did you, do, do you think that sort of having a grip of the numbers and having a grip of the, uh, of, of, of the sort of engineering element of building the, the product was quite a unique combination, one of the reasons that you managed to, to do the job well? Well, it, it seems to be. I, I've never considered it that way. I mean, I, yeah. I studied engineering because I was interested and I studied accountancy because I did want that skill. I, I knew I wanted to run businesses. Yeah. And yes, I mean, it's been fortunate for me that I can look at a business from, from both aspects, from the operational aspect and from the financial aspect. And so for the last, I'd left Porsche, I ran BMW for five years where we had huge success. But again, doing the same things, you know, engaging the team, building a culture of, of determination and passion. And then I walked away. Yeah. And I walked away at the age of 40 to build my own technology business, um, which went on to be very successful. And I've been building tech businesses ever since. So I've had 20 years now of building technology businesses. I think I'm on number 15 now. Okay. And I just have a lot of fun doing it and working with people who share the passion and and we go out and create something so extraordinary because, you know, talk about the numbers. I don't believe that the way to build anything successfully, take business, is to say, right, we've got to hit this number. No. It's, it's not about that. It's, no. it's about saying we want to build something that's extraordinary. And, and we as a team want to build something that we can look back on and say, hey, look what we did and be proud of it. And so my, my leadership approach is about engaging the team and inspiring the team to build something that is extraordinary. I suppose that's the that's the secret sauce, isn't it? You know, you can have the best qualifications, engineering, and and a really good grip and understanding the numbers. But if you don't inspire the people, and I know we're going to be speaking about this quite a lot today, if you don't inspire people to come with you on that journey, it's going to be a lot more difficult, right? Well, it just doesn't work. 
It just yeah, doesn't yeah, work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I always differentiate between the word motivation and the word inspiration. Yeah. You know, motivation is short term. I can motivate you tomorrow. I'll give you a pay rise. And, and that'll last for three months. And then, you know, the kind of yeah. excitement of that goes away. But if I can inspire you yeah. or to come into the business every day and give your best and have fun doing it and contribute to building something that's extraordinary, yeah. that, that's self-fulfilling. And, and it goes yeah. on and on. And, and that's my approach to leadership. And it links to that those intrinsic motivations, doesn't it? Not the extrinsic motivations of just a bit more cash. It's like, what do we, what do we want to achieve with our lives that is inspirational? You know, that's the that's that's the interesting thing. Um, and talk to me about the book. So, really exciting time for you at the minute because the book is coming out next week. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, the book is called Catching Giants, and and that's how I believe we approached um the atlantic rowing race which we did finished um just over two years ago now and it's it's a race from spain to antigua in an open rowing boat um we were novice rowers we'd never rowed in our lives until two years before we did the race and we took the view that we wanted to go and do something extraordinary and i mentioned a minute ago that my my hobby is expeditions you know yeah. I, I climb mountains i walk to crazy places but i'd never rode an ocean i never rode and we decided that as five novice rowers in an open rowing boat we were going to break the world record for the fastest crossing of the atlantic which is a completely outrageous and arrogant thing to say <laughs> but you know why not kind of thing yeah. so so we took the lessons that we'd learned from business about planning about about inspiration, about the culture, about organization, about process, and we applied it to our preparation for the race. And then we went out and we we set rowing from Spain, um, and uh, we thought we were in pretty good shape until the first night when we got absolutely hammered in a storm. Um, yeah, we've got three, four-meter waves coming over the top of the boat. This is an open rowing boat with... Yeah, yeah. At half a meter freeboard above the water. We're down at water level. Yeah. Um, every, you're feeling every way, right? Oh, you're feeling every way. I mean, the boat is all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and at one point, we had a massive wave hit us and snapped two of the oars. So we're completely out of control now. And and the the book is the adventure story of how do you how do you row across an Atlantic? How do you actually do that? What what's yeah. it like to be on that little boat? facing the ocean and then the other side of the pages and what are the lessons for business from that yeah so you know what do you take out of that situation you know 35 days 19 hours and 50 minutes later we pulled into antigua as new world record holders which was quite extraordinary um what i'm interested in is how that all starts it so is it just five people you know having a chat in a pub yeah how, how does that all start in terms of the idea all the way through to just getting in the boat day one? Well, it started because, it originally started because a very good friend of mine, a guy called Peter Van Ketz, had rowed across the Atlantic twice. Right. And and he and I were speaking at the same conference, and he said to me, Kev, you should do it. You'd love it. You'd, you'd love adventures. You'd love rowing the ocean. I said, Peter, you're nuts. I don't know anything about rowing. I don't know anything about navigation on an ocean. I said, I'd just end up dead. <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. He said, I'm sure you could do it. 
I said, no, you're nuts, and I'm not doing it. So I went away, and this thing kind of filtered into, yeah. into my brain, you know, and it goes round and round and round. It, it's one of those ideas that percolates, I'd imagine, you know. Yeah, it's it percolates. Like, yeah, yeah. And you, you, do, you do a little bit of research, and you start looking, you think, hmm, interesting. And then I was speaking at a conference. And I was speaking at a conference in Monaco to 300 marine industry employees. Right. And at the end, there was a, a question uh, excuse me, Kev, what's your next adventure? Because I use pictures from my adventures to make business points. Yeah. I talk about trust. We talk about kindness. We talk about treating yeah, yeah. treating people properly. And and so I use examples from the expeditions to say, here, here was the situation. Here's how we dealt with it. Let's yeah. translate that into business. And so I'd shown some photographs of the expeditions. And, and, and one guy said to me, what's your next expedition? And I, and I said, what do I say? Because I haven't got one planned. And then I thought, well, I've just been speaking to Peter. I said, well, actually, I've been kicking around the idea of rowing across the Atlantic. Anybody want to come with me? And you get 300 people laugh, and then it goes away. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. Yeah, yeah. But this guy didn't give up. So afterwards, he came and found me when we're all standing around having a chat. And he said, he said, were you serious? And I said, well, I don't know anything about rowing. don't know anything about navigation on an ocean. don't know anything about sea survival. But other than that, I'm good to go. And he said, well, <laughs> he said, well I'll come with you. And I've got two mates who'll do it as well. And it's a, four, it's a four-man boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kind of went from there. And then it spun up. And then I told my son. And I've done all the other adventures with my son. And I told him. And he said, well, that's me in as well. So that's five of us. Right. So we're five men. And um, there's a five-man world record. We're going to beat it. And I said to them, yeah. guys, 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 you're all in your 20s. I'm in my 60s. Yeah, yeah. If you want yeah, to break yeah. the world record, then row across with me now. Let me show you how to run an expedition and train you in organization and, and all of that side of it. And then do it again with somebody who's 20. Exactly. <laughs> you do it again with, a, with another young guy and you break the world right. record. And they said, no, 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 we're going to do it with you. And that's, and that's what we did. Amazing. I love that. Talk to me about that experience of just, you know, building those adventures with your son. Because that sounds amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I've been climbing mountains. I grew up, as I said, in the Northwest. And, and yeah. we would go each weekend to Snowdonia and we'd go climbing. And so I've grown up climbing mountains and, and then doing all this stuff. And, 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 my son has watched me do this. And then as he as he grew up, he said, you know, can I come with you? Can I come? Yeah, yeah. So the first expedition with him was when he was 12. Um, and we went trekking around the Brecon Beacons. I just took him somewhere yeah. where he could get a flavor. I took him around the Brecon Beacons, up and down some big hills. His his rucksack was bigger than he was. Um, because it was a wonderful photograph, literally a big, big pack on his back. And he loved it. And then when he was about... 15 i walked to the north pole and he was too young i mean he it was it would have been too tough yeah, yeah. and then once you walk to the north pole well you want to walk to the south pole so when i was when he was about 17 i gently suggested over dinner one day to my family oh, i'd like to walk to the south pole my wife's kind of used to it you know she's yeah she, she she's known me a long time and matt perked up and he said well you're not going without me this time Oh yes, yeah. So we went um, 
So we walked to the South Pole together, which was a pretty tough assignment. I mean, it's a it's a very challenging place to get to. You know, people don't appreciate that the South Pole is at 10,000 feet altitude. And, and, and it's at equivalent of 14,000 feet because the Earth's atmosphere is thinner down there and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was our average day was minus 45 centigrade. So it's a very challenging environment. How long, we, how long, did, how long did the expedition take? How long we, were, we were on the ice for about six weeks. Right. So, and he plugged away. And, and honestly, after the third day, I thought he wasn't going to make it. But then really, he wasn't eating a, properly. Yeah. Is there a point where you get acclimatized? Yes, there is. Yeah, there is. Yeah. There's a point where you stop noticing the cold. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're still going to be very cautious because when you stop noticing it, um, you know, that's when you can get frost nip and particularly any exposed any exposed areas, you know, your face. I have two scars on my face from a bit of frost nip. Um, so you do have to be wary at all times, but you do stop noticing the extreme cold. I mean, when you get off the aeroplane on Antarctica, it is like somebody hitting you in the face with a baseball bat. I mean, it is yeah. that cold. Yeah, yeah. But, but you do acclimatise, yeah. Yeah, so, so we've gone on. We've gone on since then. So we've gone and climbed some of the world's biggest mountains together, and and we went back to the North Pole so he could do both poles. Um, so was the conversation when you decided to uh, uh, to go on your own expedition the same? Was it you're not leaving without your dad? No, no. <laughs> it was it was quite the opposite actually. Oh, was it right? Interesting. Yeah, because I said to him, "Hey, I, I'd, I'd like to row the Atlantic. Do you want to come?" And he said, "No." <laughs> I said, why? He said, we'll die. He said, it'll be pain, pain, and more pain, and then we'll die. I said, well, try and be a bit more positive than that. <laughs> and he said, no. He said, we don't know anything about it. It's too dangerous. I'm not coming. So I'm, I said, I'm, okay. I'm assuming the guys that the, the 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 guys who were in the boat had some sort of knowledge of you know the environment they're going in or navigation, or was it five complete amateurs? Well. <laughs> None of them had ever rowed, right? But they were dinghy sailors, and a couple of them um, worked on super yachts as crew members. So they had some understanding of the sea. Yeah. yeah. So, so when I said to Matt, "Okay, well that's a shame because I've got a crew," he said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, I've got a crew." Oh, he said, "You're serious?" I said, "Yeah, I'm absolutely." He said, "All right, I'm in then." <laughs> yeah. I'm in then. So that was it. So he was in. So if it was if it was just you, Kev, he wouldn't have done it, but. <laughs> Well, I, I said to him that um, I'm, I enjoyed it so much that I'm going to do it again. And he said, well, you're mad. I said, well, I'll do it on my own. He said, no, you'll die. I said, well, what if I did the Pacific? Would you come with me? He said, yeah, I'll come with you on that. So we're going to do the Pacific in 2024. But the story of the book is, you know, what do you learn? How do you go out and race against Atlantic oarsmen who some of them have been Olympians? I mean, we're racing people who are serious oarsmen. And and I suppose I suppose one of the one of the things that came across in terms of uh, in, in when I've been reading some elements on the book. So I haven't read the book, but I've been doing some research for this interview. Was that there was so many lessons that you learned through the process of going on the expedition? Do you want to share a couple of those? What what were the ones that stand out the most? Now I know there's I know that in the blurb it says there's eighty, so we don't need to go through all yeah. eighty. But there's probably a couple that you want to share. Well, I think the biggest one is the recognition that preparation is everything. Yep. And it's the same in business. You know, you've got to do your thinking before you lurch into 
some business situation you're unfamiliar yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. The most critical one, I believe, is about the culture. And the, the, the words we used on the boat were be kind. Yeah. And I know this is a kindness pod podcast, but it was be kind because we're all going to have a very bad day. Yeah. Now, to give you an idea, we're rowing 24-7 and there's no support vessel. People keep saying, to me, oh, do you get off at night into it? No, we're just in a rowing. Yeah. That's yeah. it. There yeah. is nothing but us. There is no rescue. There is nothing. So we're all going to have a bad day. When you're rowing, two hours on, two hours off, all day, seven days a week. And we rode for 19 days without taking a break. We took, we gave ourselves a 30-minute break to celebrate that, New Year. Right, and that was it. That yeah. was it. It, 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 was, it was work all the way through. Then, work all the it? way through. Yeah, yeah. But that's why the culture is so important, because yeah. when you're lacking in sleep, as we were, you know, you get two hours off, you've got to eat, wash, do the jobs on the boat, yeah. use the toilet, all of that stuff, and then you get to sleep. So you might get an hour's sleep, and then you're back on rowing for another yeah, yeah, yeah. hour. Yeah, yeah. And we started, you start to get a bit batty. You know, you, get, you start hallucinating. About day 12, 13, 14, you are seeing things that are not there. You know, I, I at one point, I knew exactly where we were because I could see Tesco. I was absolutely convinced of this particular shadow out, out on the ocean was Tesco. It's a Tesco. Yeah, <laughs> completely bonkers. Yeah. But the culture that we created meant that we supported each other through. And that's what I'm interested in. So so that element of culture, that element of be kind, yeah. you know, it has that manifested in the boat when you're when you're out and you've had that sort of hour of sleep. How does how, how does that culture manifest itself? Is it just making sure that you're considerate of each other and the fact that you know we're all going through a tough time, so let's help each other through it? Yes, it's exactly that. Yeah. You know, somebody might be having a really tough shift and finding it hard work to row for that particular two hours. <laughs> you don't moan at them. What you do is say, okay, ease off a little. I'll I'll carry it for the next hour. You yeah. ease off. And, and, you know, we were five guys who were all determined to give absolutely 110%. But there comes a time when some people say, you know what, I've just, I'm, I'm just struggling a bit right now. Okay then we'll carry it. You, you, just, yeah, yeah. you just give yourself a breather for a moment, we'll carry it. Is that, uh, is that, is that a culture you applied to business as well? Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the thing about leadership is it's about inclusivity. Yeah. It's not about exclusivity, it's about inclusivity. And the role of being a leader, to my mind, is, is about creating a culture where people feel part of it, yeah. where, where people feel that they are engaged, they're involved, and that's what leads to the inspiration. Yeah. And so my approach to leadership is about being very inclusive. It is about talking to everybody. It is not about exclusivity. Yeah. You know, in some of the businesses I've run, one of the first things I've done is <laughs> the old-fashioned close down the executive dining room. Yeah, um, yeah. At BMW, it creates a barrier, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. At BMW, yeah. I, turn, I, I turn the executive dining room into a library and a relaxation area for the whole team. Amazing. So people could yeah. come in there, read books, read journals, have a chat, take a break, 
I suppose, uh, I mean, the interesting thing with that is, do you think culture, business culture in particular, has changed? Because I'd argue it's changed for the better over the last sort of three decades. Do you reckon we, we've moved from a situation where um, it was le- a less kind environment, a bit of a dog-eat-dog environment, potentially in the 70s and the 80s, and we've sort of evolved to, to a situation where we realise that only works for a certain amount of people? What do you think? Yeah, I do think it has evolved um, because, thankfully, more leaders have learned that the way to engage their teams and build a great business is about catching people in, not catching people out. Yeah, yeah, you know, if somebody does something that's that's helpful and positive, then catch them in, make a fuss, engage with them and thank them. When it goes wrong, because things go wrong every day in business. 100%. Don't make an example of it. That's when you have the quiet conversation. That's when you want to speak about what did we learn from that? And, and again, this comes back to the boat. When it went wrong, okay, guys, what did we learn from that? What can we do differently next time? And, Sorry, go ahead. And I was just going to say, you know, we got caught in this storm, which absolutely hammered us and broke two of our oars. Yeah. You know, we in the morning, we, we, through the night, it was about survival. I mean, this was a very, yeah. very dangerous situation. And so in the morning, we had a, a, a quick team chat because we couldn't row. We were still facing a howling gale. Um, so we, we we deploy what's called a parrot anchor. We basically throw a parachute in the water to keep us stable. And then we had a team chat. Right, what did we learn from that? And it's not about it's not about blame or about, well, you know what, if we if you'd done that differently, you'd done it, you know, it's not about that. It's what do we learn as a team? Yeah, yeah. And and how do we that. move forward? Exactly. Yeah. I apply that in business. And, yeah. And... and by doing that, I find that people feel they want to contribute. Yeah, you yeah. can't you can't tell somebody to be inspired. You have no. to invite them. How, what what role do you think authenticity plays in terms of that? And and you know, and what I'm talking about is the fact that you know, business leaders often assume that they can't show their own faults or weakness when they're having that conversation do you think that's important for leaders to show they're actually human every now and again <laughs> i think it's i think it's absolutely critical yeah so do i yeah. i think it's absolutely fundamental and, and you know i always say look just because it says ceo or these days chairman on my door it doesn't mean anything the door's open take, take, the, title off. Yeah. Yeah, take the title off yeah, and, yeah. and and also for leaders to engage with their team they need to go and know their team, need to meet their team, need to walk around and, and just go and meet the people in the business. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we hear all these things about millennium uh, and Generation Z and Generation this, that and the other. They're all different. I think the world has moved on and I'm pleased it's moved on. I, you know, I'm a little bit cynical about at the moment this ESG investor. We only invest in companies that meet these ESG um criteria yeah and i said that's nonsense sorry esg should have been there forever it's not a new thing yeah equality and governance and treating people properly i've been doing that for the last 30 years yeah i I don't i don't consider it i I, I think at the minute the press have got hold of it and it's a fad but forget the fad guys just realize that proper leadership is about making sure that those values and that culture and that approach is in the business yeah, I mean, from day, I mean, one. from day one. 
I mean, I, I agree that there's a there's an element, certainly sort of in the day job, we've got, you know, there's a lot of noise in our world about, you know, companies that meet these criteria. And I agree with you, a well-run business should meet that criteria as standard without okay. it being needed, needed to be measured. I think the interesting thing, and we'll see this evolve over time, is I do wonder whether it will change cultures, the fact that there is more of a prominence and focus on it being measured. Yeah, it, it, I think the jury is still out on that, but it does feel a bit valid to me as well. So it's uh, it's certainly a, an interesting um, interesting area at the minute. But I think I think the interesting thing and the, and the, the sort of one of the reason reasons we started this podcast sort of four four and a half years ago was we wanted to highlight the fact. There was um sorry, that's the dog. Um, we wanted to highlight that he wants to get involved in the podcast. Clearly. Um, uh, uh, we wanted to highlight the fact that most people are doing good stuff in the world and actually there's plenty of stuff that's positive in the world that um, that we didn't think was um, was being highlighted enough. And that's part of the reason we wanted to highlight people doing amazing stuff in the world. I know that one of your things is, you know, people most often than not want to do a good job. Tell me a bit about how that manifests itself in leadership. Yeah, I, I always say I've never met anybody who comes into work in the morning and wants to do a bad job. I, I just don't believe that's the case. There are people who may be in the wrong role or they're not inspired by the the vision that we have for the business, in which case that's a separate conversation. Are they in the right job? Are they in the right company? And if not, I will help them to move somewhere else yeah, where, yeah, they, yeah. where they are inspired. Yeah. But generally speaking... I believe people want to do a good job. And, and the challenge is creating the culture to give them that opportunity. So one of the approaches uh, that I take to business, and, and that's in the other book, that's in the Inspired Leadership book, is, is using really quite informal processes, but making it visible so that people can contribute, making the plan for the business visible. This is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there. And these are the priorities. Now, how can you help us with your specific knowledge to get to that point? Because, I mean, I ran a boat company a couple of years ago, and it was a big turnaround operation. I don't know anything about running boats. I know a bit about rowing boats now, but we were building five million pound um, motor yachts. I don't know anything about motor yachts. But what I do know about is building a team yeah. to re-energize the business. And that's what we did. And that was a business that had been making losses for 10 years, and we got it back in profit in 14 months with the same people. It was the same people. It didn't change anybody. Gotcha. Gotcha. What we did was re-inspire the team. What we did was allow them to make their contribution. And I, part of that was about inspiring them to say, here's where we're going, here's what we're going to achieve, what can you, you know, because they had the technical skills and knowledge, right? You know, yeah, they, they, they've got to do their stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what I, what I do is build the processes, which is a grand way of saying what we do is discuss it with them and, and write the plan yeah, yeah, of yeah. where we're going to go yeah. and in, invite them to help Come us along. get there. Yeah, and then people want to be change. part of it. People want to yeah. be part of it. No, it's great. I love that. Absolutely love that. Um, two seconds. I'm, I'm going to be back in two seconds. I'm just going to let the dog out. Just okay. bear with me. Thanks. Come on. Come on. Thanks, Kev. Ross is clearly going to edit that bit out. Right. <laughs> you hope. 
<laughs> yeah, he might not, to be honest. He might not. Um, yeah, and 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 that brings me on to the point, really. Like you, you. This is your second book, right? Yep. So tell me about inspired leadership, and what do you think it takes to be an inspired leader? So, so my first book, which is called Inspired Leadership, is basically 25 years of experience of running businesses in 250 pages. That's how I summarize it. Because I get, I get a lot of people approach me. Uh, I've probably got three this week of people with challenges in their business saying, uh, I, I hear you're the business fixer. Can you fix this for me? Right. Um, and you it's not a magic wand thing. You know, I would say it takes me 100 days to stop the business failing. It takes me 1,000 days to build it back to something that is world class. Yeah. So I can't just do it on an email. And so what I thought I would do is write a book that I could give to people to say, you want to know how to do it? Go away and read that. Read that. And that book shows you with examples of the businesses that I've turned around or the businesses I've grown or examples of when it's gone right and examples when it's gone wrong. It's all in there of how to take a business and take it to an extraordinary level because we've done that again and again and again. And, and, you know, I started off, I just told you 32, I didn't know what I was doing. Well, I, I, I know what I'm doing now. I have an approach now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I replicate that approach in different businesses. It's not it's not so formulaic that people go, oh right, okay, so he's gonna do this, he's gonna it's not that. It is sensitive to the environment. Sure. But it follows a pattern. Yeah. And it's it a system that that is flexible enough to to evolve, but exactly. also yeah. And it's, it's an interesting one. I think I think that element of I'm I'm assuming from what you're saying that starts with the culture of the business, right? It doesn't start with the numbers. It doesn't start with anything else. It's like, what is this business run like? Is that well, is that the starting point? The starting point is what do we want this business to look like when it's yeah, the plan? Yeah, the strategy. Yeah. What yeah. was uh, we 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 literally sit down amongst ourselves and say, what does success look like? Let's yeah. talk about it. And what will the customer see? And what will the staff see? And what will our suppliers see? What will people yeah. see when we are successful? Yeah. And yeah, we start yeah. we start there, and then we work back to where we are. And I, it's interesting because like that that measurement of success might differ depending on the business, mightn't it? So oh, absolutely. You you at Porsche uh, might say, right, okay, we want to be the best. You know, the best. In terms of customer service, we want to be the best brand. Our clients think we're amazing, and currently yes. they don't. And this is where we need to get to. Yeah. And and we we actually used when we had our first board meeting when I was in charge, we used that survey, which was you know we were number thirty two out of thirty two. We couldn't go any lower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's pretty shocking for a brand like Porsche to realise we were at the bottom of the pile. Yeah. And, and we said, well, we want to be number one. And people said to me, you're nuts. Number one, you're number 32. And I said, yeah, well, if I don't say number one, what do you want me to say? Number 10? Yeah. Number five? Yeah. But then does that inspire enough? Yeah. yeah. Does it, would 12 inspire by words all? You know, yeah. it's like, well, nobody wants to be 12. So we said we want to be number one in terms of customer satisfaction. Then we set the whole business out to achieve that. And and that's what we did. It took us four years, took us a thousand days to get to number one. But we were number one, and then we were number one again the following year, and, and that's when I left and went to BMW. Um, but that's what transformed the company, and that's where people got the people in the team got excited 
And I went back a couple of years ago. You know, it's a long time since I was a Porsche. I went back a couple of years ago to do some TV filming there. And many of the same people were in the business. And they were coming out, hey, Kev, how's it going? Do you remember when? And, you know, they all remember the tough times. Not, yeah. not as in, oh, my goodness, oh, it was dreadful. As in, we, did we have fun. Yeah, Look yeah, what yeah, we achieved. Yeah, and they're so proud of what what we achieved together. I love so, that. So, so that's where it starts, and then within the Inspired Leadership book, it's the tools we use and the, and I've, the processes we use, and I've written it to be friendly. It's not a textbook, yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. it gives little examples of how we did this, and and it's got photographs in of of us actually doing some of this stuff real pictures of yeah. you know the workshops we've had and how we, yeah. how we yeah just how we did it yeah yeah no really 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 interesting right now the dog wants to come back in so i'm, right. I'm, I'm literally last time i promise fix that right last time thanks kev appreciate that right so <laughs> this podcast kevin is, is all about sharing stories uh, about about thing people doing amazing stuff in the world and clearly the uh, the, the rowing expedition you went on even though there's a lot more adventures to come clearly the rowing adventure you went on is amazing what i'm interested in sharing with our audience is a little bit about kind leadership so so how do we use that value of be kind you know uh, be good in our lives and our businesses to be more inspiring leaders. Yeah, you know, it comes down to personal approach, and I I've been brought up. I grew up in a very working class family, and and you know, my parents always instilled in me the belief to show respect, yeah. show respect to people. You know, everybody is somebody's mother or father, son or daughter, sister or brother. Everybody. Yeah. So respect people as individuals. And so my approach to leadership and, and one that I try to foster in the companies where I work, and, and you know, I've got some great leaders working with me now who share this this philosophy is do to you look show for that in leaders. Pardon? Do you look, do you look for that value in leaders? That, I look, that value I, respect. Yeah, I look for people who are empathetic. I look for yeah. people who who do share you know it's the it's the classic interview isn't it i'll meet you at a coffee shop and, and then afterwards you say what, what did you get the name of the waitress oh yeah, yeah. she's called you know, oh, yeah she's called susie and do you know what she does this that and the other great you you've already built a rapport and it cannot uh, be a false rapport yeah you know what? I've, I've, I've said this on the podcast before how people treat people in restaurants and bars is always a fairly good indicator of of uh initially of what they're like you know they, they might be having a bad day or, or whatever it be but it's a really interesting sign isn't it don't you think yeah and in in social environments it's about respecting the people who are providing the service that you're enjoying yeah and, and and so kindness to me is about showing that empathy it is about respecting the individual because you know everybody has a job to do in a business everybody and 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 if they don't have a job to do then why are they there what why is that job there yeah should, should yeah. we not should we not be engaging that person in something else where they can create more value uh, in terms of their contribution so it is about showing respect I and mean, you know examples um i have to go back to porsche which is where it started i would write a personal christmas card to everybody in the business yeah. now that was hundreds of people but i made sure 
and I, start, I used to start this in about October, and it, each one had a personal message in. And, and I made sure I knew the person. I knew something about them. Yeah. You know, if, if, I, if I wrote to you, Chris, I hope the podcast's going well, you know, yeah. looking forward to more episodes next year. Merry Christmas. Yeah. You know, it was a personal message. It means a lot. Yeah. And people still today talk about that as, wow. And yeah. you know what? It wasn't cynical because I did it because we didn't have enough money. We, we were struggling. The business was in terrible trouble. So I didn't have enough money to pay people bonuses at Christmas. So what I did was say thank you. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it, okay, so it took me some hours each week to write all these cards. But I meant every one of them. Yeah, love it. And, and so it's that's what I mean about showing respect to people. Yeah. And it's, as you say, it's that genuine empathy where people know that you care. And and interestingly, I, you know, I think that genuine empathy is just as important when you've got to make difficult decisions as a business owner, right? You know, so it's one of those things where, you know, I've had to make people redundant and felt terrible about doing that. Um, uh, but it's the right thing to do for the business and understanding that this is a particularly tough thing for them yeah and you know supporting guiding them through it helping them find a new opportunity uh uh and 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 sort of giving them you know giving uh, helping them make sure that the transition for them is as smooth as possible and you know, i think that that empathy really pays off particularly when you've got to make difficult decisions what do you think about that we just pause there because I've got somebody at the gate. <laughs> Hello. Oh, could you just pop it on the wall? Is that possible? Thank you very much. Bye. Hey, if you made you made me feel better. I'm glad it wasn't only me, Ed. <laughs> There's only me here. Yeah. I can't yeah. even turn that buzzer off. All right, yeah, but okay, so talk to me about. Um, luckily, Russ is a really good editor, Kev, so he'll be able to make this look seamless, right, Russ? He's off letting the dog out. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so talk to me about you know, I think sometimes that empathy is really you know, really useful when you've particularly as leaders, you've got to make tough decisions. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's absolutely critical because I'm I'm here speaking about being kind to people. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is for the success of the business. And so I did have to make very difficult decisions. And you know, I have made people redundant in, in a number of the businesses that I've run. Mm -hmm. But you you try to do it in a very honest manner. Yeah. Because it is an incredibly painful thing to do. You know you're affecting people's lives. Yeah. And so I've always tried to do it in a way that, exactly as you said, we we look after them, we we pay them absolutely as much as we can over and above statutory minimum yeah. to yeah. help them to move on and then give them support and, and coaching and advice. Yeah. Um, it, it is a very tough thing to do. But at the end of the day, my my responsibility is to the business legally is to the shareholders of the business. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. you know, I have to make tough calls. Yeah, yeah, and as you say, if you don't, if you do it with honesty and empathy, I think that's the uh, that's the way to do it. Now, you've talked a little bit about your next adventure in 2024. Is yes. that the next one coming up, or have you got one in 2023? No, I've got one this year as well. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, so so this year we're going to go and canoe uh, the Yukon River through Alaska, right? 
But, you know, that's just, I mean, it's not particularly demanding. We're going with the current. So it's a thousand miles through Alaska. Amazing. Uh, camping wherever we stop each night, avoiding the bears and just enjoying the amazing scenery. So that's that's planned for this year. Who's, who's going? Who's, who's, who's on the adventure with you? Well, I hope I've got some friends going. So they got. I've got friends who said, "Oh, we'd love to come with you on an adventure, but oh, we're not doing. Oh no, we're not doing. Oh no, we're not doing that. We're not going up that mountain." And so, so you try yeah. to pick one that's yeah, yeah, just like, a bit gentler, just a bit gentler. <laughs> and so I, I put it to them, and they said, "Yeah, I'd love to." And I said, "Well, bring your kids. They got they've got teenage sons. Okay. I said, bring the kids." So what an be, adventure, love yeah, it. Me and my son and and a few friends go canoe through Alaska. Perfect. That that sounds really good. That sounds really good. And then the big one, 2024. How long is that going to be? Uh, the big one's 2024, and that's um, rowing from uh, California to Hawaii. Uh, how long? Um, anywhere up to 60 days at sea. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, amazing. Love that. Absolutely love that. Um, and where can people find out about you, the work you do, the books, uh, if they want to, if they want to understand and find out more? Yeah, so my website is kevingaskell.com so kevingaskell.com yep. um, and the books uh, you can get to the books through the website or um, put my name in Amazon and the books will pop up um, or just follow me on Instagram um, and see what's going on we put the adventures on Instagram and that feeds Facebook um, and you know you can keep up with with the adventures and what's happening in the businesses and some of the amazing people I'm lucky enough to meet and it's just it's all there. Great stuff. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for the invitation. You're welcome. Um, Charlotte. Yeah. It's the end of the show. It's the end. It's the end. It's not the end. The end. The end. The end. You didn't, you didn't give me any topics for joke of the well, week. Why don't? You do. While Raz and I waffle about something else. I'm waiting for you to give me time um, before I started. Uh, we, we did start that last week, Raz, and that got binned quicker than... Yeah, that got binned. That's how the wind That last week, as long as... That last week, as long as the Wadley Game Show. Sorry, let's give... Oh, no, we need to bring the Game Show back, don't we? I for the last few. Ideas. You've got new ideas. No, I haven't. Get some new ideas, then. That's it. And Ross, you just uh, you tell me your ideas and I'll stay them. <laughs> I think my last one like topped the cake nicely on the It is, it did, but I mean, because you're so creative, let's go back to you with the ideas. Um I want a compilation joke. If it's a compilation show, I want a joke about collections of stuff, I think, is probably where we go with that. Russ. While we're um while we're sort of trying to find a joke, yeah. Um, you know what I'm glad kids still do. I suppose okay. everybody else play out, right? So I mean, not Charlotte, nineteen so playing out. You don't out, see it as much as you used to, but some kids do. Well, I mean, I think we're lucky because we live in a uh, sort of cul-de-sac with a bunch of kids. Um, but Sophie loves playing out. She absolutely adores just running, run outs, yeah. add all the bets and stuff. Yeah. When's the last time you played, Russ? <laughs> I haven't been out for a while, played out for a while. 
play that for a while. Maybe you'd knock on your neighbours and say, do you want to... Oh, yeah, I'm going to randomly go collecting people's kids. Why don't no, I not do that? that. <laughs> I, I didn't suggest that, did I? Why don't I get it's in a bed? What's your neighbour called? Stuart's. Stuart. So knock on the Stuart's. Stuart answers the door. Right, we'll practice it while Charlotte's finding the joke. Stuart knocks on the door. Uh, so will you knock on the door? Kenny um, knocked on Stuart's the other day and said to him, uh, we're getting rid of these tray tables. And he said, I'm not interested in the tray tables. But if you're getting rid of your greenhouse, the kids would love it. Wait, what did you to gift him your greenhouse? Yeah, I said to him he could have a He's got three, two, uh, two, two sort of toddler age, oh no, one's nine, the other one sort of toddler age, and then... Uh, uh, Sorry, Russ, I know you haven't got any kids, mate, but when do you think toddler age actually ends? Sorry, yeah, they're a little older now. Got kids, How old would he have to be, so a child that's 87? Well, it could, it could be, it could be, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah, 101, Could be 108, exactly. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right, shall we? I couldn't find any compilation jokes. Go on, what I have you got? But uh, I did find collection jokes. Give me a collection joke, then. A little bit different. Um, hold on. What do you, uh, what kind of training is required uh, to be a trash collector? Don't know. None. They just pick it up as they go along. They just pick it up as they go along, Russ. That is true. That is true. On that note, have a lovely that day. That was a load of rubbish as well. <laughs> <laughs> that joke was trash. It was. Right. And on that note, have a lovely day, and we'll see you on the Kindness Project for the exciting episode 300. See you then. Bye.